This is Jocko Podcast number 184 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. It's been a while since we've done some Q&A and there's been a lot of questions. So let's get into it. Ready? Go. Into it. Okay. Question number one, Jocko. I'm having issues playing the game, quote unquote, at work. I'm quiet and friendly, but I prefer to work hard rather rather than stand out and talk. I found I have trouble forming more personal connections with my boss and coworkers. What are your tips? So look, when I talk about playing the game, I'm not talking about the fact that you have to change your entire personality mm. profile to start to connect with people. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to go from being someone that's what they say, quiet and friendly, to, you don't have to become some chatty extrovert running around making small talk with anybody. And on top of that, there's a little bit of a statement here that says, you know, I'd rather work hard as if right, there's, these are mutually exclusive things, which they are certainly not. So this being, forming relationships with people and playing the game does not interfere with your work at all. I'm not saying that you sit around and talk when there's work to be done. But there's gonna be natural breaks in whatever you're doing. There's gonna be moments where skip the action pauses and you get a chance to connect with somebody. So that's fine. So so what are some tips that, how would you do this? So I, I thought about this of, you wanna start with something small, right? But you wanna engage, this is the key point. I don't just wanna throw something at you. I don't wanna talk at you. And besides, when it's much easier just to let someone talk about themselves. So the, what, what my advice in this particular question is, is to tell them something about yourself, like something minor about yourself, but then that kind of ties into something that you can ask them. Mm-hmm. And then they can talk to you because most people like to talk about themselves. Yeah. So you ask them a question about themselves and then you go. So you know something, something, maybe something slightly related to work so it's not just some random statement that you're making, mm-hmm. you know? You, you'd say, you know what we did it yesterday at work here reminded me of something, right? It reminded me of something else and then maybe it reminded me of a movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what we were doing yesterday? It reminded me of this movie. Have you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. And at least you're going to get, well, no, because I don't watch a lot of movies. Or right. no, I haven't seen that movie. Or, oh, I've seen that movie. If it's a popular movie, but chances are they've seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've got a little bit of a conversation going. And that's all we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to turn into like chatty caddy. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to build build relationships with people. So you know who they are. So they, they know who you are. That's what we're talking about. Nothing crazy. Start small. Build from there. Yeah, yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, and and through that building process, what I kind of found is one, and I guess maybe this is a little tactical thing you can kind of throw out whenever. But you know, and you know, when people give you advice or they tell you something about themselves that something I don't know, whatever, whatever the story is, right? And maybe some strategy they use to do X, Y, Z can be super small. If you let them know that you remembered, like in the future, later on when you see them again, you say, I remembered what you said oh, last yeah. week, you know, just tie it in this. There. Yeah. And just Look say, you, almost, Charles. <laughs> and it can be the smallest up little that purple belt, <laughs> jujitsu, mental jujitsu. I like it. It can be the smallest thing. 
Mm-hmm. And it just makes you feel good. So that uh, that person will just essentially feel more open with you. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of like guy, a little this guy, really pays, this guy really pays attention to me. Oh yeah, makes him feel valuable, all that yeah. stuff, just on that small level, you know? Good so as far as building little relationships, <laughs> I'd say that's a cool thing to kind of remember to do if you can. I'd say that's a cool kind of thing to remember too. All right, there like you go. It. There like you go. Approved. Nicely Next done. question, Jocko. May I ask your advice for addressing a cowboy, quote unquote, mentality among teams working in dangerous environments? How would you shift a culture to kill complacency, to aggressively identify and mitigate risk as a point of professional pride? Okay. This is something that we'll definitely saw it in the SEAL teams, see it all the time in the civilian sector, you know, construction companies, power companies, companies where people are doing dangerous work, right? Policing, firefighting, anything, anything that has any element of danger, you you definitely see this. And and like I said, certainly saw on the SEAL teams. And the answer to this is a common answer for many leadership situations: is you have to explain why. So let me put it in a little context. What you have to do is you have to say, "Hey, let me explain to you what happens when someone gets hurt or injured on this job." Okay, first of all, we get the loss of that person on the job. The, the job that we're working on, the project that we're working on, it falls back. There's paperwork that has to be filed, which by the way, the paperwork hurts the progress of our project as well. Our budget's impacted because now we gotta bring someone else on board, we gotta train them. We, we take a reputational hit as a company, right? What, what, kind of a, what kind of a company can't do a job without getting someone hurt, right? I mean, this isn't a high bar. Mm-hmm. It's not a very high bar to say, hey, can you complete this task without getting someone injured? Yeah. And all of a sudden we gotta, we gotta hey, you know what our company, we, don't, we get a lot of people hurt. Well, <laughs> what does that tell you about the company? It's a reputational hit. Who are you gonna hire? You're not gonna hire the one that's got people getting hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's that. The, and what does that do? What does that do to your reputation in terms of everything else? Because if you're getting a bunch of people hurt, how can I expect you to keep your timelines? How can I expect you to stay on budget? So it, it's those things, it's those that kind of reputation that you get if you are getting people hurt. And then also, what does it do, what does it say about your team if you've got people getting hurt? And again, this is, what I'm talking about is a conversation that you're having with the group, with the team. You're saying, look, what kind of a team are we if we got people getting hurt? What does that say about us? It says we're lack, lackadaisical. It says we're complacent. It says we don't pay attention. What does it say about our leadership? If we got guys getting hurt, what does that say about our leadership? It says we don't care about our people. Which, by the way, it says we don't care about our people. It means it says we don't care about our job. It says we don't care about our reputation. It says we, do, we just don't damn care. Mm-hmm. And what does it say about you, the individual? What, you know what it says about you, an individual? If you get hurt, you know what it says about you? You're a knucklehead and you got hurt. You couldn't follow the procedures, you didn't follow the procedures, you thought you were smart, and you got complacent, and now you got hurt. So these are the things. When I talk about explaining why, those are where I'm gonna start. And Now I'm gonna explain and connect the dots so that the purse, the individual see that someone getting hurt is actually the least professional thing that you can do. From a leadership perspective, if I let one of my guys get hurt, um, that's just that's just the least professional thing I can do. Mm-hmm. From an individual contributor perspective, 
if I'm getting hurt, guess what? I I didn't follow procedures. Okay, look, are there accidents that happened? Yes, there are. But what I'm saying is if you get a, an accident that could have been prevented, that should have been prevented, and I as an individual let it happen, that is absolutely my fault. It's like when you got a guy getting ready for an MMA fight and they get cut. Hmm. They weren't wearing headgear. And it's like, look, yeah. I get it, but that was dumb. And I've had that happen. I mean, I've had it happen with my fighters. I've seen it happen all kinds. It happens in the UFC all the time, yeah. right? You got a fight coming up. You're gonna fight for the title, for the UFC title. You're gonna make possibly millions of dollars. Mm. You're gonna be the champion of the world. Oh, two weeks out, got, got a cut. Got a cut on my head, you know, blew out my ACL doing takedown defense, mm. right? Look, I get it, accidents happen, but what was really happening right at that moment? Was it a random accident or we were doing something that we shouldn't have been doing? So if we start to lean towards, look, having accidents is actually an unprofessional thing to do. It's a weak thing to do. It's a bad thing to do. When we let it happen, it hurts everyone, not just the individual involved. That's the attitude that we kind of come with. You know, I had the... In the uh, in the in the Navy, you have like alcohol programs. Yeah. So hey, this is our program for you know alcohol. Here's how we're trying to combat having people have alcohol related incident. And when I was at Trade Ed, they had someone come in to like give us a talk about alcohol. Mm. And then and then when they got done, the the guy says, "Okay, you know, sir, I was the guy in charge." He goes, "What's your alcohol policy?" And I didn't have one. Mm. And I didn't have one. And I was like, okay, hey, cool. I'll come up with one. Here's the alcohol policy. If you get hurt, or sorry, if you get drunk and you can't, if you get drunk and you get in trouble or you get in a fight or you get arrested or you get a DUI and you take time away from being deployable, you are doing Al-Qaeda's job for them. Mm. There's the alcohol policy. So now all of a sudden it's not like, hey, cool, we're 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 like, yeah, rah rah. No, all of a sudden it's like, hey man, do we want to help the enemy yeah. by taking ourselves off the battlefield? Yeah. There's nothing more that Al Qaeda wants than for this SEAL to be arrested for yeah. DUI and non deployable. Yeah. You just did Al Qaeda's job for you. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I'm gonna build the culture around. Yeah. And that's the same thing you can do with people that are have that cowboy mentality. You shift it so that that cowboy mentality becomes the thing that hurts our reputation, yeah. that hurts our that hurts the company reputation and it hurts our individual personal reputation. Yeah. As a man, yeah. I couldn't even prevent my my shift from getting from having someone get injured. Yeah. So that's what I do. Yep. Yeah. Like it feeds into their professional pride, especially when you use the word unprofessional. Oh yeah, you know, like oh, no one wants to be that. Yeah, man, I knew you knew what you're doing on that one. And then on the flip side, if you say consummate professional, mm. right? Ooh, that's, that's a good, a good one. one. If yeah, if you're man, you could do. It doesn't even matter the job. You can you can have your own lawn mowing business when you're. 13 years old, mm. if you're, someone says, hey, that guy, that kid's a consummate professional, you're like, hell yeah, hell yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to push back a little bit. I don't know if there's too many, I don't know if there's too many situations where you would say a 13-year-old well, lawnmower. Now, we know that Mark, mm. in the way the Warrior Kid is heavily involved in lawn mowing with Mark's meticulous mowing. Yes, yes sir, he is. 
but even I don't even know if I'd call him a consummate professional. Hey, I wouldn't either. But if you okay. was, if you were He's to working do so, towards it, if you were to do so, Mark would feel really good if you said that's it. That's what I'm saying is you can't be just throwing words around. Yeah, that's fine. okay. That's you true. can't just throw around consummate professional about low, low, mowing yeah. lawns. Yeah. That's now true. let's say the guy was a greenskeeper, like yeah. on a golf course. Sure. Now that person could be a consummate professional because he's got to dial stuff in. And and then maybe I guess you get to a certain level of just straight landscaping where, oh, you know what? There was a water, there was a, the pipe exploded. Oh, Jocko came in. He had that whole thing resodded, reseeded, took him four hours. That guy is a consummate professional. So I guess I'll take it back. Well, I'm just saying, reserve it. Reserve don't it. don't play yeah. with it. Yeah. Okay, don't I'll play with that. Flying that thing around. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, makes That's sense. What well, um, the the drip man that that was very clever on your part. What was when you said you're doing Al Qaeda's job for you? Because yeah. think about it. I mean, on, you know, it, there's nothing worse for a guy in the military to hear right is now. you are actually helping the enemy right now. Yeah. And then how you say it, like you name names, you know, it's not like you said the enemy, which I get, that's good too, mm. but it's way better to be like, you're doing and you name the, the cause JP will say that too, right? Where he'll be like, um, there was a sign or something about a sign, or maybe he'll just say it. He'll be like, your, your enemy thanks you for not giving a hundred percent today. Yeah. Right. Remember that one? And it's good. That's a yeah. good one. And it sounds cool too. I get <laughs> it, but it is real general. So mm-hmm. you hear that 10 times or every day or whatever you're like, okay, cool. It sounds cool, but it won't really affect your professional pride. All the time. Sometimes it does. But if you name the enemy, you know, like if you have some adversary, you know, Mm -hmm. and they thank you, that person, whatever, John Smith, you know, for not giving 100%, you know, it might um, feed into you. So you saying Al-Qaeda thanks you, you know, for getting arrested. So I'm like, yeah, man. Think about it from the flip side, right? What if you think of like an Al-Qaeda fighting team, Mm -hmm. right? And one of them gets cut, like one of their effective fighters gets caught, I don't know, doing something that they don't like gambling <laughs> going to strip club i don't know whatever and they say hey you're not allowed to fight anymore for us so he gets like exiled mm. or whatever oh, sh- that's sweet yeah we want them to do that we More might even send clubs. them some strip club <laughs> recommendations you see what i'm saying so it's literally he's, you're literally doing that yeah literally yeah that's good Check. Check. You clever clever guy all right next question hi jocko you answered a question about complainers and said you would listen to the because, well, it should be listen to them, right? Yes. You said you would listen to them because you can learn what the problems are. I like it and people like to be heard, but how do you handle chronic complainers? The type of people who become cancerous. I'm a huge fan of extreme ownership. Take Thanks for your time. Uh, yeah, this, this is a calls once again for my favorite my favorite general remedy in yeah. in leadership situations is you take this person and you put him in charge. Put him in charge. Yeah. And this is one of those classic things where someone says, hey, why are we even doing it this way? And you say, oh, Echo, you don't like that? Cool, why don't you come up with a plan and you go execute it however you want. Yeah. And, and that does one of two things. Either they, they say okay and they step up and then they have to figure out how hard the job the task is and they have to get it done and it's they learn from it and they get humbled by it and they recognize the 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 burden of responsibility that a leader actually has which is all good or they just say no 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 and they stop complaining because they don't want to get tasked with anything again <laughs> now I, what, what you got to be careful with a lot of these answers that I give you could 
go like in the wrong direction. So what I mean by that is Echo says, hey, I don't like we're do- the way we're doing this. And I go, okay, well then you're in charge. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I do it like that. It's a punishment. It's a yeah. punitive thing. Oh, yeah. That is absolutely not what I'm talking about. Mm. I say, you know what, Echo? You're pointing out some good stuff. You're pointing out some definite shortfalls in the way that this is happening. Mm. I'll tell you what. Why don't you actually just take responsibility for this and you can run this task and you can make this happen? Because I, I think, you know, just based on some of the things you've pointed out already, I'm not even calling them complaints. Yeah, yeah. Based on some of the things you pointed out already, I think you could probably improve upon our process quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to be careful. I'm not talking about being a jerk to someone. Yeah. I'm talking about action and this is the thing. It's like it's like there's 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 this thing where where, where what I'm doing, I'm not just playing the game. You ever you ever have I ever told this in jujitsu? I'm like, hey, if you want to set me up with the choke so that you can get my arm, mm-hmm. you have to actually right. do the choke. You have to yeah. actually apply the pressure. If you don't apply the pressure, I'm not defending it. My yeah. arm's not gonna go where you want it. Yeah. You have to actually do it. Yeah. And if I don't defend it the way you expect me to, then you just choke me. Yeah. It's the same thing here. I'm not saying you just say, well, why don't you do it then? No, yeah. you have to actually say, hey, listen, I think this is what's going on. I think you have some good points. Why don't you take lead on this? And, and we'll see if you can you know, remedy the situation because I think you've got a pretty good chance of doing it. Yeah. This isn't, I'm not doing this as a punitive thing. I'm doing it because it's the best thing for the team. You've yeah. got a legitimate complaint. You've got a bunch of them. Yep. Let's get you in a position where you can sort some of those things out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's that. When you get people that are complaining, you know, first of all, hear them out, and maybe that's good enough, right? Hey, listen to them. And yeah. and, and and once again, I'm not saying you listen to them while your brain is elsewhere and you're not thinking. You actually listen to what they're saying. You're engaged. You really do go for the choke. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. Maybe there's some solutions you can come up with. Mm-hmm. But then if that doesn't work and even after they even after you listen to them and you explain to them why things aren't the way they want, they still want to complain it, complain about it? Cool. That's fine. Awesome. Why don't you take lead on this? Yeah. And that way you can sort out some of these issues. Appreciate it. Mm. Kind of like Leif said that one time, it's kind of hard to complain about a plan when it's your plan. Yeah, that is the truth. Yeah, makes sense. God, I'm so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this plan sucks that I came up with. But the yeah, the um chronic complaining cuz you could kind of I mean, people who complain a lot, you 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 it's easy to be like, "Oh, they're chronic complainers," right? But if there's constantly, we'll say chronic problems, mm-hmm. That might induce chronic complaining. I'm not saying that's the case, obviously, because I know True. that there is such thing as chronic complainers, 100%. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, like how you say, oh, yeah, put them in charge of something or or listen to them and they'll point, you know, listen to what they're complaining about or whatever. You might actually get turned on to all these solvable sure. problems, you know, and if you t- if look, if you make someone take lead in a, in a situation. Right. And, you know, how it's kind of like that's that concept of like taking extreme ownership. And then what if they do like say, yeah, it is your fault. And then you get all mad, you know, kind of thing. It's like, oh, so you didn't really do that. It's like, so if you put someone else in charge of something, you're really putting them in charge. Like, what if they run? What if they take lead and they solve all the problems? And they don't come. Awesome, right? Yes, exactly right. So you don't treat this action or this discourse as like something to get back at the complaint. It's not just a a setup. Yeah. It's a real move. It's a real deal. Yeah. And, you know, that's you just you just made this point that I made, which is one of the best leadership tools that is completely overlooked by people all the time 
is very, very simple to do, and that's just to listen to what people are saying. I know it sounds crazy, but I run into all the time leaders in all kinds of levels, all kinds of situations, and the biggest problem they have is they don't even listen to anyone else. They yeah. won't listen. Yeah. So when you're in a leadership position, try this. Be quiet and listen to what people are saying. Listen to what they're complaining about. Listen to what suggestions they have. Listen to what advice they give. Listen to their recommendations. Listen. Yeah. Just listen sometimes. You're going to be in a much better spot. Yeah. And even like you saying that out loud sounds real obvious, you know, but it's man, it's not because even a lot of times, like if you don't listen, I'm thinking of myself, like all the many trillions, trillions of times that I haven't listened when I should have. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, most of the time we'll say, I don't mean to not listen. I don't mean to be like, it's not like I'm like hearing noise and being like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're dumb. You know, what you say doesn't mean anything. It's not that. It's more that I'm like focused so hard on what I'm thinking or my way or whatever. Like I'm just so just, of course, naturally, it's mine. I've been thinking about it for years now, you know, kind of thing. So I'm so du- basically dug in to myself on my own thing that I'm not in I'm just not paying attention that much. You know, I'm like working so hard down this tunnel that like I can't look out of the tunnel kind of mm-hmm. thing. So you don't really mean to, but when you're in the situation, it's like it's not that easy. You know, it's it's and you know what it is also? It's detachment. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Because when you're talking, you're talking. Yeah. You got to step back, detach, listen to what people are saying. I do this all the time. Yeah. I do this all the time. It's such a it's such an easy move. Yeah, if you, it's if such you an remember. easy move. You just yeah. watch. You just listen. Even like in jujitsu, you do this. We're like, oh, the person wants to move around a bunch. Cool, I'll let them move around a bunch. Yeah. Let's see where they're going. I'm yeah. just gonna listen to their moves. You know. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it, man. Just listen to their moves. Just listen. And yeah, if it's, if you primarily focus on that listening, then like you habitually be able to do it way better. Because like again, like back to the, it's not like a, it's you're not doing it with malicious intent yeah. you know you're not shutting them down it's almost like you ever you like interrupters right you know chronic interrupters yes. people who interrupt you all the time some of the time a lot of the time whatever we'll say half of the time estimate there it doesn't feel like they're doing it because they don't want to hear what you have to say sometimes it's that for sure but sometimes they it's almost like it's almost like they have this tone of like dang i don't think i finished my point as good as i wanted to yeah, yeah. almost they're it's doing like that it for tone them for themselves yeah. because they're so committed to their message and what they've been thinking the whole time and if you're not signing right onto it it's man i must not have said it clear enough you see what i'm so saying i had to like tighten up my kids on just straight they just wouldn't let each other talk it's just interrupt interrupt yeah. interrupt yeah. and i think it was yeah it was my son for sure and he looked at me and he goes he's like uh he says Dad, you've been teaching us to be aggressive our whole lives, and now all of a sudden you're telling us just to sit back. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Did you tell him that that's the dichotomy? I said that's the dichotomy. I know you of did. Of course. Hell yeah. All right, next question. What is, what is the most important issue you've ever changed your mind about? This is... You know, this is one of those things where I'm, I'm sure this is one of those questions where uh, I should have like some answer about some specific subject or something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I can see I know what answer is desired. I, I know what type of answer is desired. But mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, for me, <laughs> taking ownership of things, right? Mm-hmm. This and this this wasn't really like a I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. 
to where what I used to say I'm gonna blame everyone and then all of a sudden I said you know what that's not the right policy to have I need to start taking yeah. extreme ownership I, right. I didn't do that but it was just a a thing that built and developed inside my brain and I think it's the most the most important thing that I've ever sort of recognized or conclusion that I've come to now it's not a change mm-hmm. but I'm sure at some point my attitude wasn't like I'll just take ownership of that which it is now Right. But at some point, you know, I'd say, well, that's not really my responsibility. Right, you know what right. I mean? Of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's a natural thing to say. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you what, the next, and this is interesting, but the the other, and this one's kind of more of a, more of a, I can pin it down a little bit closer to an answer that someone would like. And this is, uh, once again, it's going to be a little bit, a little bit strange. But the other thing is the dichotomy of leadership. And this is the this is the thing about the dichotomy of leadership. And I actually was thinking I actually didn't didn't really recognize this until the last muster. Hmm. And I was as I was thinking about the dichotomy of leadership, maybe it was off of a question. Maybe I think it was actually before no, actually it was before we even started. I was just like reviewing notes and thinking about the dichotomy of leadership. And and one of the most important things about the dichotomy of leadership is that the reason the kind the reason that I came to the conclusion the reason that I got to the dichotomy of leadership in getting there let me rephrase that mm-hmm. in getting to a point where I said there's a dichotomy of leadership mm-hmm. what I had to do was I had to admit to myself that I was wrong about everything okay. that's what I had to do in order for the for the idea of the dichotomy of leadership to 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 escape my brain to get out to get to to become a full thought what I had to do I I had to admit to myself that I was actually wrong about everything Hmm. so I'll give you real easy examples one of my things that I used to tell guys all the time you got to be aggressive you got to be aggressive that's how you got to be in order for the dichotomy of leadership I had to admit you know what sometimes being aggressive doesn't work Right? I used to say, you know what? As a leader, you gotta stand up, you gotta be loud. And then I realized, you know what? There's, I see leaders that are too loud. I had to admit that I was wrong about that, that sometimes that was wrong. I had to admit that I was wrong about keeping things simple. Like, hey, you know what? This is one of the most fundamental laws of combat. You gotta keep things simple. Mm. And then I had to admit that sometimes people keep things too simple. Even this fact right here, right? In order to admit that I was wrong, I had to be, I had to be humble. Mm-hmm. And I used to preach, and I still preach humility as being like the most important thing, but guess what? There are people, and there are even me, where there's, pe- there's times and places where you can be too humble. Yeah. And so this idea, this idea that there's a dichotomy to everything, it's something that the, the, the original thought for me was, it came from me having one-sided opinion and then realizing that, and I'm, I'm almost positive, I don't remember crystal clear, but I'm almost positive that the original thought that I realized there was a dichotomy to was being aggressive. <laughs> and, and again, this, was, this is all kind of coming to fruition as I'm teaching guys at Trade At and Leif was running the junior officer training course and I used to give them this little, and I remember writing, you know, I, I remember th- saying to myself, you know what, I gotta tell guys that they can go too far mm-hmm. with being aggressive and they can go too far with barking orders and they, and I just, it like that's where it came from. Yeah. 
And if I wouldn't have been able to change my mind, right? Because that's what this question was. Changing my mind about something. The biggest thing probably ever in my life was understanding that just about every characteristic that a person can have, that a leader can have, can go too far and can become a negative characteristic. Mm. So that's probably the biggest thing that I've changed my mind on. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, that aggressive one, that makes sense. Because like, yeah, aggressive, being aggressive, like is one of the more effective ways to straight up, quote unquote, get things done. For sure. Do it and it'll be done. Do it, you know. Don't wait, don't hesitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a there's a problem in a building? Let's sit back and wait until that problem yeah. starts. No, Just like you gotta be aggressive. Yeah. But then if you're, and jujitsu will teach you all kinds of lessons like this where if you're gonna spring a trap on somebody or something, animal, person, whatever, what's the best type of, type of person that you can catch with a trap? Probably an aggressive one, you know? Like they can set themselves up to to get trapped if they're like aggressive, you know, like an animal who's real hungry, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. hesitating. Like if an animal's like hesitant, you know, mm-hmm. just hesitant, maybe sees things develop a little bit before they take a aggra- you know, certain action or whatever. It'd be harder to trap. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah. The, and the th- this is the thing that's, this is what makes humility important is it's hard to come to grips with the dichotomy of leadership because if you don't have the humility to sometimes say, you know what, you're right. That you know what, I'm wrong. Yeah, Ooh, this, this, hard this, this plan isn't what I thought it should be. Yeah, it's so hard to do that. That's why it's hard to really get a grip on the dichotomy of leadership, and that's what makes it so important. That's what makes it the answer to so many questions. Yeah, and sometimes people will come, like you know, someone will come up and say they'll have their counterpoint to what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and. I'll tell you right now. Let's let me think of a, of a of a situation where you have to provide a counterpoint. If I somebody comes to me and says, you know what, being aggressive isn't always good. Sometimes if you're aggressive, all you do is you you run to your death. Now, a, an egotistical Jocko would say, negative, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm right, and I would dig in in that position. Mm-hmm. And when you dig in in a position, you can't maneuver anymore. So I'm actually stuck. So this is a classic thing to do. Also, when 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 I'm arguing with somebody, if you come to me and you say I think we should do this, you know, method B, I say I don't say no because I think we should do it method A. That's what I think, and you think we should do it method B. You come to me, I think we should do this method B. I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I say? Okay, well, I think you got some good points on method B. Mm-hmm. Oh, all of a sudden, you know. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're we're in a totally different scenario. Oh yeah, I just totally flipped the script on you. Yeah, and I, you know what I say is I say you know there's some good points that you have. If you watch people debate, it's, it, it's really a a little slick move, but you don't see politicians do it because they're so dug in. Yeah, they yeah. they can never think they're wrong. Yeah, and they can never and they, what they also are afraid of they're afraid if they admit they're wrong about something they'll look bad. Yeah. Whereas if they said, you know what, that's a good point. That's actually a good point. I, I'm going to need to consider that. I've never really thought of that viewpoint before. You know what? I'm going to assess that. But I guess I think you got. I, got, I think there's some validity to what you just said. When's the last time you heard a politician say that? I don't. Yeah, I never. I don't think. I've and then that. what happens is, in in this day and age, the the supporters of that politician 
they they don't they don't they don't recognize the valid point either. Yeah. It's just no. Yeah. So we get people that aren't thinking and to and and it's very hard to hold dichotomies in your head that this can be right and that can be right. There's an aggressive approach and there's a non-aggressive approach. There's a direct approach and there's an indirect approach and both of them can be functional. <laughs> it's really hard to get get a grip on that. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the answer to so many questions. It's the answer to the person, the subordinate that comes to you and says, we should not be doing it this way. If your reaction isn't to diametrically oppose what they're saying, but instead to actually take their side and say, oh, I agree with you. You've got some really good points. Let's see how this would play out. Talk me through it. You can't even, you're like, wow, you, you know, you know, it's like, it's like an, it's like an, it's like a move. It's yeah. like a jujitsu move, yeah. and it works. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's some things I've changed, changed my mind on, about. My mind is open though. Yeah. I will change my mind if if new evidence presents itself. I'll change my mind in a heartbeat. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Present me with new evidence. Yeah. What about like, um, well, I would think anyway after kind of thinking about it. Where yeah you I think I think generally speaking we do kind of respect someone who can who can change their mind, and we all see it once people's digging into their opinion you know yeah. and saying all kinds of weird wacky stuff yeah. to try to defend yourself and themselves and you're like that's not what we're talking about kind of thing you see it it's clear so like it seems obvious like yeah you should change your mind when or or at least open up your mind and, and like how you said um hey I'll give that some consideration mm-hmm. I'll look into it and yeah. if you're right shoot I think you're right I think that's a better way to do it or whatever whatever the case is but the and then I guess technically this is a dichotomy too where you can't do that too much because if you're always changing your mind with you know like a, like a, I don't know we'll say a, a politician yeah, right? yeah every time the, uh, the opposing view or some other view comes in you're like dang I didn't look at it like that or I didn't, maybe I'll look back or look into that more. And well, see it again yes. and again and again. It's like, Brad, does this guy know anything? Because guess what you're talking about? What? There's a dichotomy. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I mean. And if you go too far and you change your opinion all the time and then you become indecisive yeah. and so that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. But if you're so, if you're the other side of the spectrum and you're completely dug in and you never change your mind, that doesn't work either. What do yeah. you need to do? What do you need to do? You need to balance the dichotomies. The dichotomies yeah. between being flexible and inflexible. If you become ultra flexible where you're just going with whatever anyone's saying, that's not good. Yeah. You need to find the middle ground. That's what the dichotomy of leadership is. Yeah. But it's hard for people to comprehend that. Yeah. It's hard for people to see that where they draw that line. Yes. That because is they it, think, they well, you know, I, I, I'll never change my opinion on this. Okay. Yeah. You just told me where you stand. Yeah. The, I'm not it, sure I like that very much. Yeah. Because new, new information can come to light. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a where the, where they stand right in that dichotomy or whatever. Because I think part of part of it, um, and it's part of it is like, yeah, they don't want to be wishy washy, you know. But the other part, or the other part of that is, I'm I'm saying if they always change their mind, mm-hmm. or if they're so easily to be like, oh, okay, maybe we'll do it your way, or whatever. Flopper. It, yeah, it. I think they come off like they don't know anything for sure. Like, so, so if you don't know anything, should you even be in that position? Like, I don't want you to be the congressman if you're if you don't know anything, kind yeah. of thing, right? That's the feeling. So and. Now, with that, that's the feeling that people are trying to avoid when they dig in. Yeah. They don't want to admit they're wrong because if I admit I'm wrong, that means for what I didn't know, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, no, bro, you don't you don't draw the line right there. You draw draw the line a couple steps down the road. 
yeah. be open a little Give bit. Give yourself you know? some room to maneuver. Yeah, Don't yeah. dig in. Yeah. Room to maneuver. Next question. How does one detach when getting personally attacked and take extreme ownership with false claims? And what does one do when a subordinate always goes above the chain of command instead of working out issues with the coworker? Okay, I'm, this isn't the clearest question that I've ever received. I'm going to try and, I'm not sure if I completely understand it, but I'm going to try and sort of answer to the best of my ability. Um, I think what we're talking about here is that someone is telling me that something is my fault and that is a false claim. Is that That's the question, right? I think like so, Like you're yes. making a false claim and saying like, this is your responsibility, Jocko. You were supposed to press record. Right. And it's false because I wasn't supposed to press record. Yeah. Right? Like, like, let's say. Like, yeah. Or, like, or maybe like record was pressed. Like the, the, there is no issue, you know. Well, then the, why, would, why, would he, why would that become a personal attack? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't. Huh? So the personal attack is, Jocko, you didn't press record. Yeah. And now the question is, what do I do then? Because we both know who's in charge of pressing record here. Yeah. Who is? Me. Okay, so you're in charge of press and record. Yeah. If you all of a sudden we we are forty minutes into a into a podcast and we haven't pressed record, the record has button hasn't been pressed, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it comes to light, and you say, "Jocko, you didn't press record." Right. Now, what this person is saying that's a false, false claim. Gotcha. That's yes. not my responsibility. It's truly not my responsibility. Right. And I'm not going to actually. Why yeah. should I be doing that? Yeah. And you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say. Yes, sir, I do. Which is, you know what? It is my responsibility because I'm here. It's primarily my voice that's being recorded. And from now on, I will make sure that that gets recorded. It's my fault. I will take care of it from now on. By the way, now what is your job responsibilities in this whole podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No, no, no. You have nothing to do. Yeah. If you're not pressing record, you're not nothing to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so how does that feel? Yeah, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. You don't like that. Mm-hmm. But when I take away that responsibility, you're actually gonna come and claw it back from me. Mm-hmm. You're gonna say, you know what? Actually, you know, it was your fault when that happened. But you know what? From now on, since you screwed it up, I'm gonna take ownership of it. And you know what I say? I say, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, good point. Since you are over there with the recorder, and since you're a technical guy and I'm not, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Why don't we go with that? From now on, you own it. Yeah. I I, I shouldn't have dropped the ball last time. You know. <laughs> you know. Yep. So that's that. So there we go. I yeah. own it. I fix it. If by the way, if you don't want responsibility back, if you just say, "Cool, yeah, you press record from now on," okay, yeah. cool, I will. Yeah, and then guess what? I'll start thinking about how much I need you around here. Yeah, because really, what else do you bring to the table? I know. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's question number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question number two, as far as detaching, so I don't get emotional. That's <sighs> if someone is blaming me. If someone is blaming me, if you start blaming me for something, I actually look at that right out of the gate. I see that as a psychological victory for me. Mm. Because because you're blaming me. Like you're blaming, you're not taking ownership. I already won. Yeah. I already won. So there's no I'm not getting emotional about that. That's they're blaming me because they don't have the the wherewithal to actually take ownership themselves. I see that as a weakness of theirs and I'm fine with it and that that's why I don't I'm not going to I don't need to get emotional because I'm sitting there going, wow, I, this person just served me up on a silver platter. The fact that they don't want to take ownership and they're going to give it to me. Mm. Are you kidding me? I'll take this all day long. Another thing is, and I've said this before, 
I can't be respect. I can't be disrespected by someone that doesn't even respect themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't disrespect that. me mm-hmm. if you don't even respect yourself. If you're just you know like a bum in the street is where the, where the thing came from. Yeah. You know, someone that's just a you know a drunk bum laying in his own vomit and wants to you know look at me and say you look like a, look like a dirt bag. Yeah. It's like okay, dude. Yeah. Carry on with your day. Yeah. That you, you're not going to affect me. So how in the same vein, if how can I be disrespected by you when you tell me when you blame me for something when I realize what's happening right now is you don't even have enough respect for yourself to take ownership of something. Yeah. This is just a win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the second part, of that. and I think the third part of the question is a subordinate that that goes up the chain of command mm-hmm. instead of working working out the issues with the coworker. That's pretty pretty easy. I'm not going to solve those problems for you. Yeah. Oh, you got a problem down the chain of command with your coworker, your peer, and you guys aren't working it out, and you want me to solve your problem? No, you go figure it out. And come back to me with a solution. Now, I'll do that a couple times. If eventually they can't come up with a solution, guess what I have? I have a problem. I have a real problem, and I will solve it, and they're not going to like my solution because mm. it probably involves neither one of them being there anymore. Mm. <laughs> Extreme case. But what I will do is I say, okay, come and read me the facts. Mm. You really want me to make a decision about this? Cool, I'll do it. But I always felt horrible. In fact, I don't even know if I ever did this, going to my boss to make a decision about something that I should have agreed with, with my peer. Because you know what, I'd rather just, for me, I'd rather say, hey, you know what, you want to do it your way, Echo, fine. Mm. You, let's go with it. It's close enough. You, Oh, you want to take the lead? Cool, you take the lead. Mm. I'll support you, no problem. That's what I'm here for. I want mm. the team to win. I know you're concerned about you, and I know that, that's fine. Mm. That's fine. I'm here for the team. So let's do it your way so that it works out. Yeah. Not going to my boss and complaining. That's just ridiculous. And then that's, that's another one where I fit in. I don't think I've ever been in a corporate scenario, but it seems like that that's easy to see in other people, you know, like where, you know, how like a situation where, yeah, let, let me like let my subordinate take lead. It seems like that could be a solid, almost obvious answer for people. Yeah. Except myself, you know, like I, I don't. I don't always point that inward, you know. I'm sure there's like people out there where it's like, oh, that this will solve probably a lot of your problems. Just look at it this way and, and do it and do that. You know, let let one of your subordinates like take lead on the stuff. And I would predict, as far as that goes, that most people would be pretty surprised. Like, oh yeah, I guess I should I should do that. Yeah, you know, at this point. So you're saying that's a it's a pretty obvious solution once you hear it. Yeah, but you're also saying that's a difficult solution to actually execute because most people put in the situation don't remember it. Yeah, they don't remember to point it inwards. Yeah, even like literally, you could be getting this advice like right now. You could be getting this advice, but hey, yeah, Jocko, that sounds like good advice, and then they'll go like back to work, and it applies to someone else. You know, yeah. it's like you don't realize it. Like, man, I should do that. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's the trouble with learning. Learning. <laughs> that's the trouble general, with learning because yeah. it's hard to apply it yourself. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's like jujitsu. You mm. can watch. I can show you how to do it, yeah. and then you can watch me do it, and then I can move your limbs around so that you do it, and then we do a a drill where we drill the move t- twenty times, mm-hmm. and then you get into a competition, and the move is there, and you don't execute it. You don't mm. execute it correctly because you haven't done it enough. Yep. You have to do the move. 
gotta do the move. You gotta do the move. Next question. So, I'm watching Deadliest Catch. It's a fishing show. Mm-hmm. Wait, crab. Crabs, yeah, right? Crabbing, crabbing show, yeah. yeah. Alaskan okay. king crabs. Mm-hmm. Respect. So, I'm watching Deadliest Catch. And a deckhand wasn't paying attention and let too many small crabs into the tank. This is big trouble for the captain. So the kid admits his mistake and apologizes. Captain, you're fired. I've watched you screw up for years. What's the message here? Yeah, so it's the captain that fires, says, yes. sees the mistake and says, the captain says, you're fired. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so this is, this is, this tells me a couple things. This tells me a few things. This tells me a lot of things, right? First of all, the boss watched the deckhand screw up for years. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that he didn't say anything. Mm. He watched someone screw up for years. How is the deckhand going to improve if he doesn't get counseled on what his shortfalls are? Okay, so that's one, that that could have happened, right? That's one assumption. Mm. Let's make the other assumption. The other assumption is that the the captain did counsel the deckhand and watched him screwed up for years and told him, you better not do that, you better not do that, you better not do that, and he's now done it again, and guess what? He's getting fired. So, so that that's understandable. So, I think the question is implying, kind of like, uh, you know, hey, this, hey, yep, hey, boss, this was my fault. Uh, I shouldn't have let that happen. And now the boss can say, oh, well, since you're taking ownership of that, mm-hmm. that's no problem. We'll let it go. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. So, so if you have a if you have a concept in your brain that you think that when you when you take ownership from something that you're immune then from the punishment of the mistake you've made, mm-hmm. that's not true. Yeah. That's absolutely not true. Taking ownership of a mistake does not relieve you of responsibility of that mistake. In fact, the opposite of true. When you take ownership of a mistake, you're taking ownership of the mistake and you are raising your hand and saying, I own the mistake. And if there's punishment to be meted out, it needs to land on me. That's what ownership is. Ownership is not a get out of jail free card. You know, it's my fault. You know, we joke about this. It's my bust. Hey, my bust on that one. It won't happen again. So now everyone just ignores it? No, this is a serious violation. Yep. Having the wrong size crabs is the kind of thing that gets you rolled up by the fish and game department mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're getting shut down. Mm. This is a serious business. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, are at stake here. Mm. And this kid isn't doing his job correctly. So either the, the boss, the captain, had mentored him and was fed up, which, which it makes him a good boss, and this was his last warning and he failed his last warning and there you go. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've been watching you screw up. I told you you screwed up. I've written you up about screwing up and I told you not to let this happen again and you just let it happen again. You're fired. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the boss wasn't that squared away and he hadn't counseled him. He hadn't had the hard conversations early with him to square him away. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, the boss leaves something to be desired because he's just the first offense he's, that he talks to him about is, hey, you're fired. Mm-hmm. When I took ownership of the blue on blue in extreme in extreme ownership first chapter, I could have been fired for that. Yeah, I could have been fired. My boss could have said, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is your fault. We can't have that happen out here. You're fired." And I, you know what I said, Roger that. Mm. 
It's not, hey, I own this. Please let me go. Yeah, yeah, I took responsibility. Now here, I will say this though. If, so, so taking extreme ownership is not a get out of jail free card, but I will tell you this, if you make excuses, it is going to be worst in 99% of the situations. Yeah. Well, you know the, the 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 small crab snuck in when I wasn't looking. That's not my fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tactical crabs on the move, right? Yeah. Then you just look like an idiot, right? So, then another thing that this brings up is this idea of preemptive ownership, and that is taking own. If you take ownership of something, you, you don't you don't want to take ownership after the fact. Extreme ownership, the idea of extreme ownership in its purest and most effective form isn't, hey, something went wrong and I'm now taking ownership of the mistake. That's not the, that's not the best extreme ownership scenario. The best extreme ownership scenario is when you take ownership prior to the mistake happening and you realize that if there, if there is going to be a mistake, you are going to own it. So what you're going to do is you're going to work hard to prevent that mistake from happening. That's preemptive ownership. You're taking ownership before the mistake happens. So this kid, this deckhand, could have done, put procedures in place to make sure no small crabs got in. It sorted them out properly. Mm-hmm. But instead he thought, oh, you know what? It'd be no big deal. I'll just take ownership and then they'll say it's okay. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I'll blame someone else or whatever his thinking in his brain. If he says, look, if I let small crabs in here, I am gonna own it and I am gonna get fired. Guess what? perhaps he would have worked a little harder to prevent these small crabs from being where they weren't supposed to be. But, but see, when you have that out, when you think you can just blame someone else, yeah. that allows you to be slack. Yeah. When you think, well, you know, this isn't really my responsibility. That's why when I work with companies, and they'll have something that's going wrong, some problem, some procedure that's not working correctly, some timeline that's not being met, and I, one of the first questions I ask, and it normally like a huge step in the right direction to, re, to resolve the problem, is I go, oh, okay, who's in charge of that process? And a bunch of people will be looking around at each other, and no one's raising their hand. And the minute I see that, I go, hmm, interesting. This is, this is the answer to me. Now we know why the process is ineffective, because no one has ownership of it. Mm-hmm. And if no one has ownership of it, and the thing doesn't get done when it's supposed to get done, everyone just points at each other and says, yeah, well, it wasn't my fault, it was his fault, it was yeah. their fault. And then no one takes ownership and no one solves it. Whereas if you say, okay, Echo, you are in charge of this process. If it doesn't work, I'm coming after you. You know. Now you can step up your game preemptively to prevent a mistake from occurring. Prevent the little crabs from getting in the pot. So taking ownership isn't a get out of jail free card. If you have a subordinate, you are actually responsible for counseling them and coaching them and mentoring them and explaining to them what the standards are so that they can meet the standards, explaining explicitly what the standards are so that they can meet those standards. And the optimal ownership takes place not only after, but more importantly, before something goes wrong. There you go. Not to mention you got to take responsibility for solving the problem. Yes, you do. Which apparently this deckhand guy has not. Yeah. He didn't take, he took ownership for the mistake. He didn't take ownership for the, for solving the problem. He he also didn't implement a a solution to the problem. There's all kinds of problems. For years, by the way. Yeah. 
So there you go. Next question. What mistakes did you make early discussed in your live podcast that could have progressed you further? Hmm. Yeah, I think there's just some real big obvious ones. Wasted a bunch of time. You know, you waste a bunch of time when you're young. You think you got forever and you waste time. And whether it's doing stuff that's not productive, whether it's going out, getting drunk, whatever dumb things you waste time doing, whether it's just just wasting time. And, and you know what? Look, I'm not saying don't have fun in your life because that's wrong answer too. That's too extreme. But what I am saying is I, I, sometimes I had a little too much fun. Sometimes I wasn't focused on the right thing. So wasted time is number one, wasted money, wasted a ton of money on dumb stuff. And I'd say that both of these, so wasting time, wasting money, those are like the two biggest mistakes that I've made. But I would say the, the root of those mistakes is that I didn't do a good job of connecting the future to the present, yeah. right? Yeah. You just don't, when you're young, I shouldn't say that. When I was young, because I don't want to put a universal blanket of being dumb mm. on everyone, sure. even though you're nodding your head pretty heartily over there. <laughs> well, <laughs> because you were probably, yeah. yeah. We see a lot of people do this, yeah. right? A lot of us, we waste our time, we waste our money, and we don't connect what we're doing right now with what's gonna happen in the future. And that is not a good policy to have. What we want to do and what I try and instill with kids, with my kids, with with kids that I talk about on the podcast, is I want to connect what decisions are being made right now with decisions that with the with the end state that you end up with in your future. So if you take advantage of your time, you're gonna be in a much better place. If you if you save your money, you're gonna be in a much better place. If you invest your money properly, you're gonna be in a much better place. If you train and you treat people, if you train hard, you're going to be in a much better place. If you treat people respectfully and you build relationships, you're going to be in a much better place. Mm. If you do the opposite of those things, you're going to be in a worse place. If you treat people like dirt, you're going to, it'll come back to bite you. If you waste your money, you won't have it. If you waste your time, you'll run out. So I think the biggest mistake really for me was that I failed to connect the present to the future. The only ways that I succeeded in that early on was through luck. Hmm. Like I joined the Navy and, and, and I'm very lucky that I did because I was immediately building my future. Even though I had no, I, it wasn't my intent. Right. I was immediately, I bought a house. That was a great, what I wanted, to, what did I buy it for? I wanted a place to live. What did I end up with? An incredible investment. But enough to buy another house. That one was a little bit more intentional. Oh, okay, wait a second. If I own another house, and I was just talking about this with a friend of mine, it was like that I was explaining when, and he remembered when I got my second house, and I was like, in my mind, Donald J. Trump, <laughs> the real estate landlord, like master. Yep. Right, someone was going to be paying me rent, <laughs> you know, yep. and and I had another house that I was going to live in. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was when I started making this shift where I connected the present with the future. Mm. Yeah. So what you do today is directly correlated to where you'll end up in the future. That that is in Echo's favorite sort of thread of this entire podcast yes, sir. is playing the long war. And it took me too long to start fighting the long war. That's what I'll say. That that will say the biggest mistakes from my early life. 
Yeah, and really, in a way, I mean, it, they could be viewed as not even really mistakes, I guess. Just as more of just sort of that's the way things happen. Because mm. most times we figure these things out later in life be, when the long game starts to materialize. Because when you're early in your career, the, sure. only the short game is sort of there. And then in a way, actually, no. At the end of the day, no. Because even as a little kid, you know the long game. You're familiar with it a little bit. Because, like, you ever, had, you ever had to save your money for something? Like an Optimus Prime yes. toy, you know? <laughs> something like that. And they said, you got to save your money for it. Yeah. And, bro, you save your money, you know? That's playing the long game. Yeah. As a kid, you know, it's a kid version. So it's kind of the same thing. But maybe it's not as intuitive, you know, when you're little, when you're big, when you're grown. Oh, maybe yeah, it's definitely intuitive. not intuitive. And it's, it's the, other th- the other weird thing is, like, someone has to tell you. But like we just talked about, sometimes when people tell you, you still just don't listen to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, people yeah. say, "Hey, you should really do this," and you go, "Yeah, whatever. That's for you." Yeah, yeah. I'm that's gonna. A, yeah, it's for you. One of my, one of my uncle's friends won the lottery mm-hmm. years ago, like in the seventies, <laughs> and he won one of those big lotteries mm. where he got money every year. You know, you could take the lumps on, or you could take the yeah, yeah, the payments. The payments. Yeah. He took the payments. Yeah, but won the lottery, right? Literally won the lottery. Literally won the lottery. Mm-hmm. And so the payments lasted twenty years. Damn. Well, when you're twenty two, that's that's forever. Yeah, right. That's forever. Yeah. And so, my dad was talking to him, talking to this guy that won the lottery, and now he was at like the nineteen year mark. Yeah. And guess what he had done with all this money. Spent it Did up. he invest it in real estate? Did he buy, start companies? What do you think he did with this money? Spent it. Yeah. He yeah. bought car and whatever. Yeah. That tends girls to Girls and, you know, like, yeah. or whatever. Sure. Dated girls and went to bars and went out for nice dinners and yeah. did that for a long time. Yeah. And so my, my dad says, hey, you know, they're talking about it. He says, well, you know, my, you know, this is the last year that I'm getting my monthly payments for winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. And my dad says, what, what are you gonna what are you gonna do when the payments aren't coming anymore? Mm. And he says, I'm gonna win again. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Sweet. So yeah, that's planning, right? Yeah. In a sense. Well, kind of. Man yeah, no, it's not, no, obviously. It's not, but obviously, yeah. man, that's man, won the lot. But that tends to go like that for lottery winners. Yeah, apparently the lottery winning isn't a big like happiness no, deal. It's bad. Yeah, it ends up being bad because yeah. life is a long, long game. Yeah, and no matter how you play it, the long game is the one that that shakes out. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're over here playing the short game, that's that's why you lose in life if you play the short game all the time. Yes, and the people who play the long game, they just all you gotta do is play it. You don't even have to dominate it. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not recommending not trying to dominate. I'm not no, saying try that. and dominate. Try and but dominate. You don't necessarily have to. Yeah, you could come in, shoot second to last place. But if you're playing the game, you're gonna be doing good in hey, the long when game. When you when you come in second to last place in the long game, you still just beat every Everyone. single other person that's playing the short game. Yep. You beat them all. Yeah. And it's not and as they're, and they're over there looking around like what just happened? Yeah, how is who you're so squared away. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. not that complicated, yeah. you know? I mean, it's not easy. It's cuz it's not easy. You're wired w- to play the short game. I had to go game. deep on this on that last Warrior Kid podcast. Yeah. You oh know? yeah, this this yeah, yes. Just like the, the like short-term you need to get over the short-term gratification. Yeah. 
And that is the one of the biggest lessons a kid can learn is that my actions today will affect my future. Yeah. And it's hard to convince them of that. Yeah. It seems so distant. Yep. Like the future seems so distant yeah. when you're young. Yeah. I was having another discussion with someone the other day, a parent. And and there was a level of frustration mm-hmm. that and it's the typical level of frustration from the parent, which was, you know, the kid has a lot of potential, but they're like, you know, not training the way they should be and not working the way, you know, all that, mm. all that stuff. Mm. And what I tried to explain to the parent was that the potential that you're telling your kid that he has, mm. they do not even comprehend what that means. It yeah. is not a, it is not a, it's not something that they can understand. It's completely intangible. Mm-hmm. Like even when you say, oh, if you keep practicing this, you could be the champion. Yeah. This means you might as well say, if you keep practicing this, <laughs> it means nothing to them. Yeah. So that's what potential is to a little kid. A little kid doesn't understand it. Yeah. And so yes, you try and convince them. I mean, you try and explain it to them. Mm-hmm. But what I recommend is instead of trying to explain to them this massive concept of what their potential is you try and give them some short-term rewards that lead them in the right direction that are are supportive of the long game but they're easier mental connections for the kid and this the same thing applies to employees as well right you know or you get a young young employee that's you know they're not thinking they could be the the regional manager right they're just thinking they're just happy to be here. Yeah. But you're you're looking at them going, this you know, this is a sharp kid. Mm. Could be could so you might not say, look, one day you're gonna be the regional manager. Right. In twenty two years. Think about that. When you, you somebody gets hired on as whatever and you say one day you're you could be the regional manager and you could make whatever, mm-hmm. this big chunk of money. They're looking at you going, I'm not gonna be here until you know, I'm up, I'm only gonna have this job for six months, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So what you wanna do is just tie something a little bit closer to them, to their yeah. reality. Yeah. Of hey, here's where you could get, a, here's where uh, the bonus program works. Here, have you seen this? You can make an extra whatever. Yeah, and it's going to move them in the right direction, long game. Yeah, but they can comprehend it immediately. Yeah, that's my recommendation. Shoot, even just compliments and encouragement are good little micro rewards for those short term. Like, so I'm they thinking are. with my kids. Once again, we can't abuse them. Yeah, we yeah. can't abuse, you know, friendliness with our children. We can't, sure. Or we can't abuse that. Maybe that's right. not the right word. <laughs> no, it's not the right word. We actually. can't abuse cheerleading. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't abuse cheerleading with our kids, and everything that they do is beautiful. Right. Yeah. No, that's just beautiful. Yeah. A piece of art that you just created. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it's beautiful, whatever it is. Yeah. No. Yes, sir. It's like that. That's not good. Yeah. That's not good. But you're just talking about abusing. And the other thing is, the other thing you have to be careful with is, you you know, you're telling your kid like, well, you know, you're special. Yeah. Or you're you're so perfect. Right. You know. Yeah. And and it's like no. Yeah. So this can get better. Yeah, it gets. You know, you're marginal at best. (laughs) No, man. No. No. Yeah. And what I mean, encouragement and and compliments, it's like if they do something good, you compliment that good thing. That's essentially it. And yeah, like anything you can throw out too many, 
And you can throw out too little, really, because the the the, the fulfillment or satisfaction of receiving that compliment isn't big enough yeah. for the work that they just did. Be like, man, I don't want to do those one hundred. I made my daughter do uh, ninety burpees the other mm-hmm. day. Why ninety? Did you just want to withhold? Uh, no, I'm working. I'm, I'm working from, her, from her. No. She didn't get to ninety and say, "Hey, Dad, you do whatever you want. I'm getting ten more. Watch this. No, we're gonna do a hundo." Well, here's the thing. She's done that before, but not with 90. So I'm working her up. Mm. I started from like, I was like, hey, when she was real small. What was her time? I didn't time it. How are we going to recognize improvement? Because we're going to get to the number first. Then we go for time. Got it. So, I mean, that's the straight. I mean, it's not like, you know, my life's mission, of course. It's just a fun little thing that I do. But Mm. if. (laughs) Sounds fun. Yeah, one of them. Sure. Uh, But so if, if I'm like, hey. Um, hey, you're super strong. They like that. Or yeah. my kids like that mm-hmm. when you call them strong. So every time they do something like exercise or something like that and they, they, they do a good workout or whatever, I'll say how strong they are or how strong they're looking or being or whatever. But if that feeling isn't enough to constitute that super hard work, like if I over push them, like I 90, given where we are with burpees with her, um, she's not ready. She wasn't ready for 90. At this time, so did she, did she cry? She, no, she didn't cry. Thankfully, Cause she'll cry. No I, shame, she'll cry. I went for a run with my youngest daughter. This is a while ago. I don't, I don't know how old she was at the time, but I was like, okay, we're gonna start running because I wanted to improve her mile time yeah. at the school. I yeah. said, okay, you want to improve that mile time? I know how to do it. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so her mile time was weak, and I said, we can get it better. So the first run we went on, I'm not kidding. She, by the time we got one minute deep, she had tears welling up in her eyes. Yeah. And, and you know, I said, hey, just keep going. But the, the, the point of saying this is, my, when I try and give children, especially my children or any children compliments, I try and compliment their hard work. Yeah. As opposed to you're strong or you're smart, mm-hmm. what I say is you really worked hard for that and look at this great result. Yeah. Because what it makes them realize is that great results come from hard work. And guess what? That is the truth. Yeah. Because we all know people that were incredibly smart, incredibly strong, incredibly talented, and incredibly gifted, and they didn't do anything with any of those things because they didn't understand that they had to work hard. Even if you have all that skill, if you don't work hard, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Dang, that's a good little so addition. Lean towards complimenting the hard work. Yeah. And that's what you really want to see. Yeah. Let's face it. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. And this is a tough question. Would you rather have someone on your team that is extremely talented or extremely hard worker? Yeah. You know? Of course, it's <clears> easy. <throat> we all want to say, well, I'd take the talent because we can make the person work hard, but that's actually not true. No, it's, yeah, it seems hard. And, and the real talent, the best talent, Really, is you get someone that just knows how to grind and work hard. Yeah. Like, that's good. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be much more valuable than, hey, this person's super smart or, hey, this person's super strong. Occasionally, you get someone like GSP, yeah. George St. Pierre, who was way talented in multiple m- modalities and was a hard worker. You yeah. know what that person becomes? A world champion. Yeah. Sometimes you get a world champion that's just there because of hard work. Sometimes you get a world champion that's just there because of talent. Mm. Occasionally you get someone that's both, and they're usually sort of a 
they're more dominant. Yeah, yeah. like a dominant champion. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, and that's good advice there to to, to complement the hard work. Um, I I personally like both. I like the why, especially with my son, like being strong and stuff. Mm-hmm. He really likes that, you know. So he'll it's to the point where like if you help him do something, he'll get mad at they you. Kind of get mad at yeah, you. Yeah, which I kind of like. I I don't know where that's gonna lead, you know, but I like that currently. Um, so he he has that sense of pride, you know. Where being strong is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, know? that's no, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, but man, if you add the hard work part of it, because being strong is essentially a result, you know. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't obviously he's too. He's, yeah, it's really gonna be easy connection for you to make because it's hey, you're strong, and that's because you work hard. Yeah. Because the minute you say you're strong, because you got you're good genes. Yeah. Cool. I'll just sit over here and be, be strong. strong. <laughs> It's true. What do you got? Yeah, it's true. And and when you, especially if you don't recognize the hard work part of it, you know, and you just think you're as a kid, you're just rolling around strong. You're you're basically you you've reveled in the results for so long. Where it's now when it's hard work time, mm-hmm. it's kind of like wait, I'm not used to that part of yeah, this. Yeah, they thing. say that can happen to. They call them gazelles. Yeah. In buds, these are people that are like really fast, good athletes. Yeah. And but they never lost before. Yeah. And yes, when they exactly. start getting beat down, which yeah. you do get beat down and they lose, they can't handle it mentally. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yes sir, that is um that's real. Next question. Jocko, my wife told me that she sees I am much more direct and less cordial than I used to be. I feel I've pushed too much into getting after it. <laughs> and it makes those around me feel like I've changed to someone else. Yeah, uh, we have to be really careful, right? Because being more direct and less cordial is definitely not getting after it. (laughs) In fact, it's the opposite. If you are getting after it in a correct manner, your wife should be completely stoked because you're going to have more time for her because you're going to be doing time management properly. Mm -hmm. You're going to have... You're going to be doing better at work, which means you're going to be getting promoted or whatever, getting paid more or, you know, getting job stability or whatever, something like that. You're going to be healthier because you're you're working out. You're going to be stronger because you're working out. You're going to be more organized with things. And you're going to be more thoughtful about building. That's what getting after is. You, like your your relationship should be improving. Yes. Not this, and this is one of those. This is uh, one of Echo Charles's favorite things to talk about. It's actually something that you've just brought up a bunch of times on the podcast, which is when someone says, "No, that's just how I am." Like, you know what, Echo? I'm just going to tell you the truth because that's just how I am. Just making an excuse for being a jerk coming out of the gate, which is not good. So, if if that's what you're doing with your wife, you know what? I'm just going to get after it. Hey, this tuna casserole sucks. I'm just telling you the way it is. That's how I roll. Like, no, you're actually rolling in the wrong direction. When you're getting after it in a good way, your wife will be stoked. I I was getting interviewed the other day, and I I realized this. So I've written eight books. The eighth one comes out in January of 2020. It's a lot of writing. I wrote 90% of the words in those books while my family was asleep. Damn. It made almost no impact on the family. Mm. I'm writing these books. Editing is a little bit different because there's a timeline on editing, so sometimes my, my family would be awake while I was editing and I had to get stuff turned back in, yeah. and it's a pain. Mm-hmm. But that's like a 
takes a week, mm-hmm. right? But the other 90% of getting after it was done while my family is asleep. Mm-hmm. If you contrarily are getting after it at the expense of your family and friends, that's not, that's actually being selfish. So that's one part, okay? So maybe you need to check yourself there and make sure that you've got your priorities in order. There is a chance, however, that your friends don't like seeing you start to get some altitude, right? Start to be more successful, start to lead a better life. There's all kinds of groups of people that will just drag you back down. They don't want to see you win. Yeah. That's sort of, I I don't know, is that the fundamental kind of baseline human instinct? Uh, I don't want to see you win. If there's an element of it, to to, I would not be surprised, yeah. put it that way, but I don't, I don't there's know. There's at least a non-trivial part of the population, population that does not want to see you win. Yeah. There's at least a percentage, whatever that percentage is, of the people that you know that does not want to see you win. They would rather see you fail. They yeah. would rather, and maybe fail is not the word, but they would at least rather have you stay with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Really. So there's a chance that that's going on. Is there a chance that that's going on with your wife? Hopefully not. That's a slim chance. Yeah. Because if you think about it, your success, her success is predicated on your success. I mean, you are bound to each other. Both each of your success is predicated on each other's success. Mm-hmm. So do I want my wife to be successful? Oh yeah, because i that's my wife. Mm-hmm. And she's looking at me going, yes, go be successful. The more successful I am, the more successful she is. So there's a there's most likely your, your wife, in my opinion, would be supportive of your efforts, mm-hmm. unless you're just getting out of control. There's a chance, I guess, that a wife could see you know, uh, someone change, and you know, that's not the person that I married, right? But hold on, the person that you married was lazy, and I'm over here getting after it. Mm -mm. The person that you married was making X amount of money, and I'm making a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. The person that you married wasn't in good physical shape, I'm in good physical shape. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, the wife would say, cool, yeah, I'm getting a better deal now. Occasionally, I think, you would get a, a, a spouse, I guess it could be the, the male or the female, could happen on either side, that goes, oh, you wanna work hard and I'm not really not looking to do that. I was comfortable, yeah. right? I was comfortable, that's it. Yeah. I'm comfortable, I don't want you getting all crazy. I'm over here being comfortable. So that could happen. I think that's unlikely. I think what's most likely is you are focused on yourself a little bit too much. Mm. Check yourself for that. That should be the first person you look at, you. Yeah, that's true, huh? Cause like it, this is actually kind of common where husband, wife, whichever the scenario is where one, let's say, let's say two people, they get married, whatever years down the road, one of the people in the couple the relationship improves themselves a lot too, loses a bunch of weight. They're, they're literally by their own standard. They were not very attractive when they got married, but now this is 10 years later, whatever they become straight up attractive now making more money. Um, more people want to hang out with them because they're nicer, like all this stuff. Straight up, across the board improvement. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other person in the relationship didn't do that. Still married, still all good, no infidelity, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. 
still married, but that person who didn't improve themselves will feel like they got phased out or kind of like, like the person might want to upgrade or something like that, you know? So it's like, so it's impossible. They try and drag the person back down. Yeah. Cause you need to be back here. I need to be feel secure. Now I'm this husband and now my wife's hot. I'm not used to a hot wife because when we got married, you weren't that hot. Mm-hmm. I loved you for you and you know, all this stuff <clears throat> and you know what they say or whatever. And, um, the, and now Is you're, a, I don't know, well, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking of a cliche movie thing. But anyway, the the wife's like all good looking now. People are like, people at the store are like complimenting her and all this stuff. <clears throat> and the guy's not used to it. And now in his mind, a little thing develops where it's like, uh-oh, like I'm not good enough now for this hot, hot girl. And I'm going to buy her some Cheetos. Yeah, bring her back down. So like at least have some manage, you know, manageable amount of control. Yeah. This, person that's you know that's not an uncommon thing in that specific scenario i guess that scenario is not very common though it's not a very common scenario and then it would have to be doubly uncommon for someone to actually want to drag them back down i have to throw it out there though because it is a possibility yeah but for this particular question i don't think so only because this little indicator right here my wife told me that she sees i am much more direct and usually much more direct means insensitive mm. in my experience. <laughs> Wives don't do good, generally speaking, with insensitivity. Less cordial. That's another one. In my opinion, in my experience, because I'm married. Yeah. You less know, cordial You is bad. learn things. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. Something I learned about my wife. If my, if my wife, if it isn't on the schedule, mm-hmm. it's about enough to make my wife get mad. Right? So in other words... If I said, hey, I'm going away for one, a month from now, I'm going away for six months Mm -hmm. on a work trip. I'll be back when I'm done with those six months. Mm -hmm. And when I'm gone, you're not gonna be able to hear from me at all. She'd be like, okay, got it. When do you leave? And I'd say, well, I'm leaving whenever. Yeah. September 1st. And she'd go, okay. She wouldn't be even remotely upset. She'd be good to go. Yeah. If it was Friday night and yeah. I came home and said, oh, I am i didn't tell you, or Saturday night, I said, I didn't tell you, but I'm going over to Echoes to watch the UFC. There's a no. decent chance yeah. that she's mad about that yeah. because she had in her mind that we were going to eat whatever. Yeah. We were going out for dinner or whatever, mm. but I didn't, I didn't give the pre-planned yeah. situation. What if she didn't make a plan for that? It was just sort of maybe we could do that. But it, it, it's 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 not on her. It's on me. Yeah, it's on huh? me for not informing her of what was going on because it doesn't really matter. All she knew is that I was coming home yeah, yeah. and I was going to be around and that was what was happening. Yeah. So yeah, anything that sense. is not planned. You know what's really funny? This is, again, with my wife, and this is this is where it became evident to me. Even if it's something that is positive, for my wife, yeah. if I don't give her pre-planning mm-hmm. cycle on on what's going to happen, so in other words, if I was flying home and I'd been gone for a week, and I you know got home and busted through the door and said, "Hey, I I'm on a tail end of a 72 hour fast. I'm starving. I'm taking you out, and I made reservations for this really nice dinner. I'm going to go get some <laughs> you know." A $200 steak right now. Some steak. There's a chance. Mm -hmm. The the percentage should be 100% she's stoked, right? That should be the percentage. Mm -hmm. However, 
with my wife, there's a, a 20 to 30% chance mm-hmm. that she says, you know, I was gonna take, you know, I was gonna take our daughter to, you know, uh, the raffle, I don't know, to yeah. play bingo. Yeah. And like, that is enough. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, what I don't do is I say, oh, cool, you know what, we'll go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What I don't do is try and impose it. Yeah. So what you're saying is like lack of being cordial what I'm saying is that it's not just like that's one example mm. of me not being cordial. So I don't, I try not to, my, I, guess, I, guess, I guess to sum it up, my wife doesn't really like surprises, yeah. right? She likes to have a plan. Yeah. She likes to know what's happening yeah. and then she'll execute the plan. So that's what you gotta be careful of. Yeah. You, what you gotta be, well, not, not what you gotta be careful of, that is one example of how these little things, they don't make sense. It doesn't make sense that some, that my wife wouldn't be super stoked to go out to a awesome steakhouse. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to anyone. Well, you know, the, the, that's a superficial thing. And let me tell you something else that makes it a little bit tricky is I'm super insensitive to like pl- changing plans. Like people change plans with me. I'm like, whatever. It's yeah. no, fa- it's literally no factor. Yeah. Like, oh, we, we, oh yeah, we've been planning to do this for six months. Someone's like, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it means nothing to me right. when things change. It means nothing. It's I, it has no impact on me. Yeah. I have no emotional reaction to someone saying, "Hey, this we can't do this now." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna do something else." Yeah. So I'm at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Which means it took me a little while to figure out that oh, this makes you mad. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yeah. And it's probably probably something like one level, like under the surface too. It's not like, hey, I had this good, you know, the raffle was was planned in my head, and that raffle's important. The raffle's not important. Neither is the dinner. It's like that part of it on on that level is not important. <laughs> it's one level deeper. It's the fact that I had this in my head. You didn't tell me this other thing, and yeah. now like what I had in my head really means nothing. Yeah. So it's kind of that. Here's another funny thing about my wife is she's so into the planning thing that if I plan something, it has way more value to her. So in other words, if I say, hey, when I get back this Friday, I'm gonna do a fast and I'm gonna be super hungry, I'm gonna make reservations for this Friday and we can go out and get an awesome steak, tomahawk, ribeye, and like the fact that it was pre-planned, mm. like I've done this before where I've taken her and I've gotten reservations and she'll be like, did you make reservations? And I'll say, <laughs> yes, I, I'll be like, yeah, I did. And I can see like a little smile, <laughs> like I care a little bit more yep. that I made those reservations. Like mm. that's pre- what, yep. what the spontaneity thing? No, no, mm. does, no, no, no uh, points mm. for spontaneity, no. zero, zero points for spontaneity, mm. only points for pre-planned fires you know why why because it's thoughtful yeah you know exactly yes yes yeah that's great that's good that's good that's an interesting quality right there and i guess my point in saying this this these things Mm -hmm. is that everyone has these little personality traits people you work with people your your spouse your children Mm -hmm. they have these things and if you figure out what those things are you can actually utilize them to your advantage 
and you can bypass things that will be problematic. Mm. And something that you've said too is you say, oh, you do this stuff to me, meaning Jocko does, you. I do some like leadership trick to you, sure. and you know that I'm doing it, yeah. but it's still like it works, works and it still makes you feel the way that you know it's supposed to make you feel. Right. That's my point, like my wife will listen to this, yeah. And it's and then I'll make reservations and she'll still be happy yeah. even though that she knows that I'm doing it just because I know that it's going to be something that makes her happy. Yeah. Yep. So That's just true. because you reveal like, hey, I know this is what you're like, or even whether you reveal it or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. When someone has that characteristic, then you can utilize that characteristic. And I know that's not the best sounding word to talk about, like manipulating my wife's uh, uh, emotions. Yeah. But. What I want to do is manipulate her emotions to make her feel happy about something. In the right way. Not necessarily a bad thing. Yep, it's a good thing. <laughs> so be cognizant when you're dealing with other human beings. Yeah. Look for these things. You see these things if you take a step back. If you don't take a step back, you'll never see them. Yeah. If you can't detach... When you tell your wife something and you, you, you see that it makes her mad, if you can't detach, if you're talking to an employee and you see that they're getting frustrated and you can't detach to try and figure out what that is, you're not gonna make any real progress. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the direct thing, we like to be, or when people are direct to us, it makes things easier. For us, you know, but doesn't who's we? Wait, who's the we? I don't We're know. Talking about. Whoever people who because like. because here's the deal, man. Direct is a very uh, a very blunt force tool, yeah. And not many people wield it well, and not many people receive it well, yeah. So if you're one of these people is that you know I just like to be direct, right? That's not good, and very seldom. Do you end up in situations where you can just be direct with people? You have to have real, strong, built relationships with people where you can just be that blunt and direct with them. Mm. Now, there are methodologies where you can be direct without being direct. You know, you can say things that are, hey, this is what we need to get done right now. You can take an edge off of it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, and the way you usually do that is by taking ownership of what it is you're trying to make happen. So what I don't say is like, Echo, you need to get this thing edited tonight. Yeah. Right? I don't do that. I might say, hey, is there any chance we could get this thing edited tonight? Because if we don't, we're going to have a gap in releases, which by the way, we haven't had. And that's kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, see, even you just kind of know that it's a thing. It is, isn't it, right? And all of a sudden, we're there. And all of a sudden, you want to edit that thing. Yeah. Not because I told you to, but because you want to keep the gaps from opening up. Sure. Gaps. So I was I was directly telling you, but I was indirect. Yeah. So there's ways to do it, but you got to be careful with direct. Direct, it takes a long time to to hone the scalpel of direct to where it just gets where you want it to cut and it doesn't leave any collateral damage. Yeah. Not many people are good at it. Yeah. Very few people are good at it. Yeah. Sorry. Next question. Jocko. And you know that makes people mad. 
what does the when you say listen you can't just be you can't just you can't just throw it at people people yeah. people want to say like there's a book there's a book called radical frankness or something like mm-hmm. that that's not the name of the book but it's something like that it's like hey we just going to tell the total radical transparency or something like that and it's like we're just going to tell the truth all the time and we we can get there but man it is work yeah and it's not even work that has to be that that necessarily is the best use yeah. of work. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just know, I just know, I hear people all the time. Well, you know, and people—that's what people want me to say. I'll go and work with a company. They're like, you know, what we really need help with? We just need to really learn to be direct with each other. Yeah. And what what they really should be saying is, what we need to do is we need to learn to communicate with each other be open about what issues we have, how to solve those problems, and be more tactful in, in our discussions so that people are receptive. Because yeah. think about what I just said. If it's not just about me being direct, the more important, the only way that I can be direct is if I have set you up in such a way that you, or I've built you in such a way that you're receptive to my directness. Mm. Because me being direct without you being receptive, it doesn't work. work. And so often that's what I see. I see, hey, I'm direct, but but you're not receptive. It's it's game over. So even if I'm direct, I'm only 50% of the solution because you have to be receptive. What's easier, when I I go indirect, I become 90% of the solution. Yeah. Because I'm going to get it into your brain without resistance. Yeah. So I, it's an easier, it's easier up front as me. I'll just be direct. Yeah. That's easy up front because yeah. I just say, Echo, you need to get this stuff edited. Yep. Now. Direct. That's direct. Mm-hmm. What are the chances of you being receptive to that? 50%. Yeah. You know? Whereas if I, well, let me rephrase that. In order for this to be effective, you have to be receptive to it. Yep. So. I only have 50% of the solution. You have the other 50%. Whereas if I say, like I said before, you know, hey, Echo, we, is there any chance we could get this done tonight because here's what's at stake? And, it, and I go indirect and I make that idea. I make your answer. You're going to give me the answer I want. Yeah. I know it can be edited tonight, right? I know that. Yep. Makes sense. And so I'm going to, you're actually going to tell me. You, I'm, I'm putting it into you. I'm giving you, all you have to do is just tell me. And now I'm the one that's receptive. Yep. Yes, we can. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm glad. Yep. Yep. So that's something very important to talk about. If you want to talk about learning to be direct with each other, what you really have to learn is how to be receptive to directness. That's the, that's the long pole in the tent. Yep. That's what organizations are missing out on. Being direct is easy. Yeah. Being direct is the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. You tell people what you think. That's easy. Yeah. What's hard is setting the other person up, developing a relationship so that they're receptive to what you're saying. Yeah. Be careful. I used to play football back in the day. And <clears throat> this new quarterback came in. What's weird is I forget his name. I'm just drawing a blank right now. But new young guy, tall, and he had a gun. Mm. If you're a quarterback and you have a gun, that's impressive, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. It means you throw far and fast. Here's the thing, though. 
especially when you're new, you know, and you have a gun, you're you're gonna show that gun. You know, you're gonna be like when you're playing, you know, when you're warming up before practice and stuff like that, you're throwing it and you're throwing it hard. So this guy was throwing it hard at me. I was a receiver. And we're just, it was just standing. We were just standing there. I wasn't running around. So he's throwing it and it's hurting my hand to the point where I couldn't catch some of them because they were coming just too fast Mm -hmm. for, you know, for that distance or whatever. And sure, I was impressed with this guy's gun, but when we'd run routes and stuff, he'd still kind of do that, I guess, maybe to impress the coaches. You know, he's a young guy or whatever. Um, And here's the thing, like people would miss his balls. They wouldn't catch them because they're coming too hard. They're hurting your hands. They're messing you up, you know? So it makes it really hard. I get it. It's great practice for the receivers. Totally is. Mm -hmm. But as far as to effectively land a a pass, you know, to complete a pass, it doesn't work like that. And we had this other quarterback. Hold on, Echo. Let me just stop you because you may have just made, like, the best analogy you've ever made (laughs) on this podcast. (laughs) Right. That is it. Cool. If If you can throw that thing direct, but if you're throwing it too hard and the person's not ready to receive it, right, right, not even not even to mention that you might not be ready. To, you might be looking in the other direction. That yeah. thing hits you in the back of the head. Yep. What good is that direct comment? It's zero good. It's not good. Hurting your hands when yeah. you try to receive it. It hurts you. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to hear anymore. You don't no. want any more to be thrown at you. Nope. Okay, proceed. As opposed to this other quarterback who came in from Stanford. By the Your name hard of, work is paying off. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks, See, I knew it would. So uh, this other quarterback came did in. Did that quarterback make it anywhere? Did he make it to the NFL? It, he did not make it to the NFL. Okay. No. So this other quarterback came in. His name is Tim Carey. Came from like Stanford, I think. And he came in. He was the kind of the opposite. Actually, not the opposite because he, he could throw far mm-hmm. and stuff. But the way he threw it was like. It was like the perfect pass. Like every distance had a different velocity on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that kind where it, the next, if it he would. He modulated. So well. Yeah. He modulated so well. Modulated where like, the volume. For those passes. directness. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything. And for them to get better, he would have to physically walk it and put it in your hand. It was like <laughs> that good when it'd come, you know. Um, and when you have them side by side, oh, man, I don't want that direct guy. I'm the finesse guy, yeah. you know, but he Whatever did have the capability. Um, did he I, make it to the NFL? Um, I maybe I, f- I forget. He left Stanford to come to your college. Um, I forget why, but I think we're it's a, it was a whole thing. There was a few Stanford guys that came. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, a few guys from, from Stanford, Stanford that yeah, came to came your school played at UH. Yeah, it was during a. I want to say when we changed coaching staffs. Oh, there might have been some scouts, so, connections. Uh, maybe like some relationships that were already there. Even some of the coaches, I think, came from that area. I don't know. I, I forget. That was a long time ago. But nonetheless, yeah, that's the way it shook out. Check. So there you go. Jocko, 13-year street cop here. My old man died when I was 10. It cut deep, and I grew up with no one. Having two boys of my own now. And loving to get after it on the street. I worry about the risk. How do I balance being a, the spear with ensuring I stay around for that? So, first of all, we have to recognize that there's no way that you can ensure that you stay around. And in fact, one day you will not be around. One day none of us will be around. That's the fact. And that actually doesn't matter what your job is. And there's all kinds of things, regardless of your job, whether you have a car accident, whether you have a heart attack, whether you have 
cancer or a plane crash or random violence or some random accident. There's all different kind of ways to die. Now, you are correct that the the death rate of cops is higher. It's higher than a normal civilian. But what, what like loggers, construction workers, they all have higher rates of death than a cop. Roofers. Roofer, if you're a roofer, you have a higher rate of death than a cop. Any drivers, anyone that drives for a living, whether they're a trucker or whether they're literally a traveling salesman, they have a higher rate of death than being being police. So no matter what you do, there's a chance that you could that you could die. And I'll tell you what, I think about this sometimes in the reverse of like what do you what what scares you about what your kids do? If your kids are engaging in activity that could be dangerous, whether it's parachuting, whether it's rock climbing, whatever, like there's things that your kids could do that they could die. And what you could do is not allow them to do it, wrap them in bubble, bubble wrap, and not allow them to go anywhere. And guess what? Even if you do that, there's still a chance. And you've taken away, you know, their growth. So you can look at it in the reverse as well, that there's some things that you're not gonna be able to control. And no matter what, you know, your kid could, you could say, I don't want my kid to join the military. And so they go to college and what happens in college? They get hit by a drunk driver. They, like there's enough bad things that could happen in either one of those situations. And same thing with you and your job. You could go get a job doing something, unless you get a job that's just straight up, uh, you know, in an, administrative situation with no with very limited commute and very limited driving mm-hmm. then that might increase your chances a little bit and but then you've you know then are you doing something that you actually like to do so there's your your dilemma so what do you do in a situation like this what you do is you train and you prepare and you're vigilant and you take care of your sons, obviously, and you would explain your job to them, and you explain to them why you train hard, and explain to them why you're willing to make a sacrifice to keep others safe, including them. You you work every day to keep them safe as well. And if you explain that to your sons, they will grow up with an understanding of service and discipline and duty and courage and honor. And by the way, if something did happen to you, the model that you set for them would have massive impact, would have massive impact on them and how they would live their lives. And I believe it would be actually a positive impact. Sure, would they miss you? Absolutely. Sure, would they wish more than anything that you could be back? Yes. But would they recognize that their dad made this sacrifice? Yes, they would. Would they live to honor that sacrifice? Yes, they would. So that's one thing you can do if you want to keep that profession. Now, if that if you can't get around that, if that d- doesn't make sense, which it's understandable. If you look at me and say, hey, Jocko, I get it. 
I want my kids to be raised with honor, but I'd want to be there, and that's more important to me. And if that's where, if that's where you end up, then what you have to do is plot out what another job, what another career is going to be. And like I said, then you have to make it doing something that legitimately gets you into a better, uh, better survival rate. Which, by the way, outlaws just about every outdoor job you could have. So you're, you know, you, if you work in construction, nope, that's not it. Working as an electrician, nope, that's not it. Working as a lineman, nope, that's not it. All those jobs, all those outdoor jobs, go look at the statistics. Go Google death rates in jobs. And there's all kinds of fishermen, no, forget about it. You know, there's so many jobs that have a high death rate where accidents happen. So what you're talking about going into, the life you're going into, would be going into would be an administrative job of some kind. And and if you think you can do that and you think that'll be give you the satisfaction that you want, then then it's a possibility. Think about it. But if you look at it and you think, you know what, that's not for me, then train hard, prepare, build a great relationship with your sons, stay vigilant, don't get complacent ever, and be aggressive. I have to throw that one in there because in my opinion, when when an individual gets scared or gets hesitant or gets overprotective of themselves, I believe they're in more danger, not less danger and more danger. So if you think that having kids, having your sons is making you less aggressive and more scared, I think you're at higher risk. So if you're going to do the job, you do the job. You get aggressive when you do the job. And and if you can't, then you got you you might want to look and see if there's other alternatives that are out there. The other thing I would say is this how how often like you're a street cop, you've been there for 13 years. Is there another department you could go to? Is there some other way to serve and and stay connected? Use your experience in another in another way. Maybe an area that has a little less uh, probability of getting killed. Again, you got to look if that's something you'd really want to do. So ultimately, and I tell this to people a lot, is there's only one person that can make this decision, and it's not me. The only person that can make this decision is you. So think through it. Be thoughtful. You can even talk about it with your boys, depending on how old they are. But you can talk about it with them. Explain to them. And, you know, see what they say. Um, you know, obviously, there, there's one way that conversation could go. Hey, would you guys be, would you guys want me to die? <laughs> right? Of course. What are they going to say? Oh, my gosh. Quit that job immediately. We don't want you to do that. Right? So you're going to have to think about, I don't know what the ages of your kids are, but you're going to have to think through that one, whether how you address it with them. But. Certainly, um, I always look at it that there's risk at everything you do. You might as well take risk doing something that you love doing and that you know is helping other people and you know is setting a good example for your boys. And if that doesn't make sense, cool. Find a, find a different job. Next question. I was a young boy living in a foster home and was sexually assaulted 
by my foster father and sometimes other people over a course of a couple years. I was eventually adopted, and what had happened to me was never discussed, and I never got help for it. I was afraid of everything, and eventually I played sports in high school and felt less afraid, went into the army and felt completely unafraid of anything. When I got out, I got into a long-term relationship. I told my then-girlfriend what had happened to me. She was the first person I ever told about this. She convinced me to reach out to my foster parents, and I did, and it was a total disaster. They kept my room where all this bad stuff had happened exactly the same as it was 20 years ago, or 20 years prior when these horrors had occurred. I had my moment to confront this monster that had done this to me, and I failed. I used a word that he always said to me, which was, I used a word that he always said to me when he was assaulting me. He just said, sometimes people change. All of a sudden, I was a weak young boy again, and I couldn't fight back. I left the house and had serious self-doubt. Eventually, I became a cop and then a detective and faced all types of bad people, from junkies to murderers. I even get full confessions out of child rapists. I'm sick to my stomach afterwards. It's terrible, terrible to hear what these animals do. My question is this. Recently, the past has come back with a vengeance. I can't get through a short time, maybe an hour or two, without thinking about the past and my failure. The only time I have peace is when I absolutely destroy myself working out. I consider it punishing myself and feel better when I do it. How can I stop this? Or at least manage it better. So, this is, I mean, obviously a horrible situation, and you know, um, horrible that you had to live through this, and that any kid or anyone, any human, would have to go through this. As far as how you can manage this better, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit here so one of the blocks of training that we go through in a seal platoon is called close quarters combat and this is the training you're in a thing called the kill house it's ballistic walls there's targets in there you're moving around dynamically you're shooting live fire ammunition there's people six inches away from you you're taking really close shots there's a lot of pressure in there. There's a lot of details, a lot of standard operating procedures and safety procedures that you have to follow. There's a lot of process. It's like, do you need to go left or right? Is that a good guy or a bad guy? Because you have to identify the targets. Should you move or should you stay? How do you communicate that you need to move? Should you shoot or should you not shoot at a target? And so there's all these things going on when you enter a room. All these things that you have to go through all these steps that you have to take all these procedures that you have to follow all these decisions that you have to make and it all happens in a split second and so in a kill house the training cadre is actually above you above the it's not a normal house the 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 rooms have what we call catwalks above them so the cadre can be up above you in the catwalks and they're walking around and they're watching you very closely it's like watching a, a football game on TV. You're seeing it from like the perfect view above the person. And they're in the room with you, but they're not in your way at all because they're up on the catwalk. So what happens is when a room entry happens, there's a lot, you catch a lot of critique. 
from the people in the catwalk. And they'll say, you know, you could have you could have done this or you could have done that or you could have you could have moved left or you should have pushed forward or there's you know, you it would have been better if you'd done this other thing. So there's all these different things. And when my cadre was running it, you know, that's what we do. That's what happened to me when I was cadre, that's what I would do, that's what everyone does. And at some point I kind of realized that all that stuff is good and I get it. Like you gotta get people to run the procedures correctly. But at a certain point, what I would tell guy, like after a guy was kind of beat down, like he just couldn't get something right or he would, you know, a bunch of people would jump on him about a decision that he made or a movement that he made or whatever. And I'm not talking about a safety thing because the safety thing is, is different. I'm talking about a tactical decision. And when you walk into a room, there's a bunch of tactical decisions you can make and and if there's, Ten, if there's five different decisions that you could make when you walk into a room, there's something that, there's, you know, there's one way of doing it that would be like really clean. One would be a little bit less. One might be just as clean as the first one, but it's a different attitude. There's just all these different decisions that you could make. You know, it's like just a multitude of ways that you could react. Because that's what this question is, how you reacted in this situation. And eventually, as I would see this with an individual, I would eventually, I, I, what I would tell guys is, listen, you did what you did. You did what you did. That's what you did. That's the decision that you made at the time. And you know what? There's different ways you could have done it. You don't like the way you did it. I don't like the way you did it. Someone, one of the other cadre members doesn't like the way you did it. It doesn't, what, what I'm saying, it doesn't really matter. First of all, you can't take it back. You, you can't go back and undo it. And by the way, you don't get to rehearse these things to a point where you get to do this perfectly because you won't be able to do that. If you rehearsed a move in a room that you had seen before and you rehearsed it 10 times, that's not, that's a totally different game, right? If I already know what the room consists of and I'm gonna rehearse and choreograph the entire movement, that's a different game. That's not decision making. That's just that's just rote memorization. We're not talking about that. We're talking about how did you react and what you did is what you did and you did it for a reason. What you saw in front of you, you made this decision for a reason. Maybe like you know, you saw a threat when there wasn't one there or you lost situational awareness or you rushed. You went too fast. You tried to rush and all those things can kind of can kind of trip you up. But that's what you did, and you did what you did, and you can't take it back. So instead of everyone sitting there saying you should have done this and you should have done that, let's do this. Let's see what we can learn from it. Let's see why you did what you did. Let's see why you made that decision. Because once we know why you did something, now we have something that we can work with. We have something that we can improve upon. That is what I think you need to do in this situation. And really, when anyone makes a mistake or has a reaction that they don't like, you can't worry. You can't continue to worry about something that has already transpired. What you have to do is you have to look at it and say, what can I learn from it? What can I take from this? And, and how can I take this mistake and make 
me better. So you could look at this, why did you do that, right? Maybe you did it because you didn't want to open up these old wounds. Maybe you did it because you would have, you confronting this individual would have caused more drama and that more that drama, you, you at that moment, you assessed and said, you know what? This drama isn't worth it. Maybe you protected yourself from more drama and that was your instinct. And maybe if you would have started confronting this guy and going crazy, you know, who knows what could have happened. And maybe it could have taken a turn for the worse. We don't know what the outcome was. We know that you weren't happy with your decision, understandable. But we don't even know what the other decisions would have led to. So where you're actually getting bogged down and, and, and distraught about something that you don't even know if it was a good decision or a bad decision. It feels like it was a bad decision, but you don't know what the outcomes of the other decisions even were. So you can't change the outcome of what happened in the past. You can't do it. But what you can do is you can grow from it. That's what you can do. You can learn from it. You can actually take that scenario and you can mentally replay it in your head and you can figure out if possibly there would have been or could have been a better outcome. Or maybe that that outcome that you had wasn't that bad, or maybe it leads somewhere else. We don't know yet. But that's that's where you are at right now. You can't change the outcome of something that has occurred in the past. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little dichotomy at you right now. And I'm gonna say something that's a little bit might be a little bit hard to understand, and I'm gonna try and talk my way through it because while you can't change the past what you can change is you can absolutely change the way that the past is perceived so let me give you a detached example just another example if you had an individual someone gets fired from a job they get fired from their job and when they get fired from the job, it what it does is it it their their confidence goes down and they get depressed and they decide they're not gonna even apply for a new job because I don't even know if I deserve it, get a new job, and they sit around and eventually they, they go out and apply for kind of like a lesser job. And, you know, who knows, maybe they start drinking to get relieve some of their depression and now they're late and now they they end up on a downward spiral we would look at them being fired as something that destroyed them and ruined their life that's how we would perceive it hey the individual got they they were they were doing fine then they got fired and now they lost their confidence they got depressed they started drinking they didn't apply for good jobs and now their life is totally different and it's a bad place we would perceive that them getting fired did that to them. But if this, if that person, if a person got fired from their job and in, instead it was like a wake-up call for them and they immediately applied for a bunch of other jobs and maybe they didn't get those because they had just been fired, but maybe they took a lesser job a lower paying job, but they got in there and they had realized they had made a mistake and they started getting after that like they'd never gotten after it before. They started working as hard as they possibly could and got promoted and then got promoted again and just dominated in those positions and went even harder. 
and dominated even more and eventually took over the whole company. And this isn't crazy. This isn't too far-fetched. This can happen. But if, if that happened, that same incident, the firing of this individual, would be perceived in a totally different way. It would be perceived as a catalyst that changed their life for the better. And there are all kinds of examples like that in the world. The past can't be changed, but the past can change you for the better, or it can change you for the worse. And my question is, why not make it for the better? Why not make the past change you for the better? You hear the term, you hear the term narrative thrown around these days. Especially like in political circles, you'll hear it on the news that narratives, they're created in the political arena. And what the narrative does is it supports an overarching aim or an overarching value or an overarching goal. That's what that's what that's the way people use the term narrative right now. But I'm not talking about that type of political narrative. What I'm saying here is that you actually write the narrative of what happened in your past. I'm not talking about a fabrication of it. I'm talking you get to write the narrative of where it takes you. You get to write the narrative. You get to write the reality of where you end up. You get to write it. You get to control it. So what I'm saying is control it. Get control of that narrative. Take control of that narrative. That that horrible story in your past ends the way that you want it to end. You control the narrative. You control that story, so make that story good. Make that story epic. Make that story and make the direction that your life goes, make it heroic. And that's how I think you can get control or maybe handle better some of that horrific stuff that you've been through. And I think that's all I've got for tonight. So, Echo Charles, speaking of being heroic, speaking of controlling our own narrative of the past, of the present, of the future, what can we do to write that heroic story for ourselves? Yes. Well... Let's start with the path. We're going to stay on the path. We're going to get on the path. We're going to be on the path. So part of the path is jujitsu, of course, like we've said many times. You're going to need a gi. What gi to get? get I got interviewed the other day. Cool. And 
the guy kind of sets up this kind of big question. Sure. He says, you know, in this day and age, and I'm not going to do him justice. He was a great question. It was a nice question. I, I get it. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to do it as eloquently as he did it. But the question was about, you know, in this day and age, when men, and it was one of those like men-like type things, in this day and age when men are, you know, can be isolated and can get depressed and don't have meaning and all this stuff, right? What, what do you, you know, what do you recommend to men that feel that way, that feel isolated and feel alone and feel depressed and feel like they don't have meaning in their life and feel like they can't connect with anyone. And I was like, oh, cool, yeah, go to jiu-jitsu classes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt bad right. because they wanted me to give like the big, yeah, profound yeah. thing yeah. about where to find meaning in your life. Yeah. And what I said was, yeah, start training jiu-jitsu. Because the thing that he grabbed me with is like, oh, you know, you want you you want to have a goal. You want to have meaning. You want to connect with people. You don't want to be alone. Loneliness and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Go train jujitsu. All oh, yeah. those problems get solved right there. Yeah, they do. Right. All of a sudden, you got people to hang out with. Mm-hmm. You got a mission. Mm-hmm. You got fitness going on. You got meaning. Yeah. It's all kinds of good stuff going on. Yeah. So go train some jujitsu is what I'm saying. Yeah. And good place one, to start. That's one of those deals too with um, like you leave jujitsu with something. Yeah. Not just fitness and, and better health and stuff. You leave with like a skill yeah. that just feeds into yeah. your, your whole soul, especially man, the manliness thing. Oh, oh man, yeah, yeah. the capability to defeat another man. Yeah, in a fight. and we'll have to see. We'll have to check in with some of our females because when I talk to our female jujitsu practitioners, mm-hmm. they might even feel a little bit better because they get to like choke men. Yep, no doubt about it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what we're saying basically is try training some jujitsu. Look, is it a cure all? Yeah, kind of, kind Maybe of a little bit. Yeah, for know? certain people uh, in certain situations, I think. Yeah, I think so. I have a feeling when I leave jujitsu after I get done training mm-hmm. that I feel good. Yes, sir. Just think about that. Just think about. Think if I gave you a pill that said, "Oh, if you just take this pill, you'll feel good. Yeah. You just, you'll just roundly, you'll just feel good." Yeah. But there's no, in fact, the only side effects are that you'll be a little healthier and you'll have a, you'll have a, a, a quality skill that you can utilize in the real world. Just take this pill. Would you take the pill? Who wouldn't? Sure. What I'm saying is you get to go to jujitsu. Yep. Is it harder than taking a pill? Sure. But is it harder to eat a steak or eat a pill? Steak. Technically, technically, it's harder to eat a steak. Depends Which one would you, you rather do? Eat a steak. I'd rather eat a steak, and I'd rather train jujitsu than take a pill. Me too. So get on that train, the jujitsu train. Get on the jujitsu train, and you're gonna do gi and no gi. So what kind of gi to get? You get the best gi. Question answer. I realized I like dramatically interrupting you sometimes. Yeah, man, it's good. <laughs> I, I dig it too sometimes. It's all uh, good. So the gi origin. Yes. Originmain.com. This is where you can get your gi. Many different options. They come out with new ones. It's pretty cool. Pete's very creative with that stuff. Yeah. I encourage Pete to continue that creativity and keep it on that level as well. Anyway. Don't one, encourage him. No, no, no. Encourage <laughs> all. Encourage and uh, compliment as well. So, yes. OriginMain.com. You can get your gi. You can get a rash guard too if you want. Also, uh, some shirts on there. Some joggers and whatnot. Supplements as well. What about just for what if you were going to go see a movie? Can you wear your gi to a movie? Oh, uh, well. No. 
Okay, can you wear your gi to a dinner date with your wife? No, I no, you can't. So what do we do with Origin then? All right. Yes, well, the good news <laughs> is we got some American denim. We got jeans. Some jeans. Yep, Origin jeans. Boom. But yeah, those are good, man. Those those came out really, really good. Yeah. I think those are going to go go places. Yeah. This one I will give Pete some uh, leeway for his creativity oh yeah because he did this thing with the yoke of the jeans you know what the yoke is no it's a little piece of, of it's like right below the waistband and there's two types of different yokes you can have reverse yoke or or regular yoke i guess it's called anyways it's it makes it so that the pants fit a certain way yeah. and then he lined up the tops of the pockets with the reverse yoke okay. which means that they're slanted a little bit like the old school vietnam p- uh, pockets so anyways, that's cool. They're legit. Yeah, they're, they're just like a little bit. See, you know what I'm like gathering? details going on. I'm gathering that you're starting to appreciate Pete's no, fashion no, sense. That's no, what no, I'm no, gathering. Don't get crazy. Oh, I'm yes. saying occasionally. Oh. No, 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 because no, mm-hmm. here's the deal. Mm-hmm. The pockets, because they're at a little angle, they're, they're easier to get your hand in and out of, which what I'm saying is there is a functionality. Because if it didn't, if it wasn't functional, I wouldn't be talking about it right now. No, because we don't talk about things like that. But they look dope, is what I'm saying. I think you're starting to appreciate that. On a what level. I'm saying is, I think I think Pete did it not for functionality. I think Pete did it because it looked cool, mm-hmm. and then I commend his creativity mm-hmm. because not because it looked cool, but because it provides a level of functionality that does not previously exist in jeans anywhere. So hey man, what? I agree with you. I agree with the whole deal, the whole gig, and man, yeah, che- yeah, those are good. American denim, by the way, all made in America. Yes, the cotton is made in America, grown. What about the uh, things that you put, you fasten the um, your waist with? The buttons. Yeah, the buttons. <laughs> Origin buttons, buttons. Cotton. Just look at a picture of the buttons. That's enough to be like all sold to yeah. begin with. They're pretty dope. They're very dope, actually. Plus, anyway. we got supplements, as you were just about to say. Yes, yeah, supplements. Important supplements. Mm. Not this Mega Mass. F- what was that one? An old school Mega Mass, Mega Mass 5, something. Or it was whatever, a big yeah. number. Nonetheless, it's not like that. Well, I guess kind of because Mulk is additional. Pro- Way cleaner. Clean. Protein, slow release. Brian did a really good. Um, but let's face it, it just tastes good. Yeah. So it, well, it doesn't just taste it. It tastes good. That might be, uh, what's that word? That might be the number one priority or the number one benefit. The fact that it's the best protein you can actually get is awesome yeah. too. Yeah, cool. Well, you can eat a steak if you want protein as well. So yeah. there's, there's very. you can't always eat a steak. That's the problem. Sometimes yes. you're like on the go. Yeah. Sometimes you got to get, sometimes it's, you got work to do. Yeah. You don't have time to eat a steak. Sometimes you just want a dessert too. Let's face it. Yeah. Come on, bro. Let's face it. So I boom. Definitely facing it. There you go. So yeah, so Mulk is like that. But the the joint warfare, krill oil, these are for your joints. Keep your joints in the game. Mm-hmm. If you're for real getting after it, like especially in the gym and doing jujitsu, man, those the, the joint warfare and the krill oil is going to keep you in the game big time. It's going to help you out big a lot. Time. Huge time, as we say. Don't forget about the warrior kid Mulk as well. Yeah. Which is which is tasty, and why not feed your kids something that's actually going to be good for them instead of feeding them literal poison? Yeah, gummy bears. Yeah, sugar. 
Check. Some crap. Unless, yes. And discipline as well. If you want some cognitive enhancing elements infused into your brain, get some discipline. That's a good one. Get yourself some Jocko White tea as well. Yeah. That's, that's if you want to have a massive deadlift yes. in excess of 8,000 pounds. Check. Yeah. Also, it's certified organic. So that's something. Also, we have a store. It's called Jocko Store. You can, you can get the tea on the store too. We have the tea on the store. Um, but also on the store, jockostore.com, this is where you can get uh, shirts if you want to represent on the path. Discipline equals freedom. Even get after it. You know, simple stuff. I, I chose quality shirts over cheap quantity shirts. Indeed. So when you get this as shirt. As it should be. As it should be, right? So if you get this shirt and you recognize that, dang, this this could very well be my favorite shirt just to wear, just the the fit and the feel of the shirt, I won't be surprised. In fact, I'd be surprised if it's not. That's my opinion. Nonetheless, there's some good stuff on there. There's rash guards on there, some hats, flex fit, and snapback trucker hats. Some hoodies, lightweight and heavyweight. Some good stuff on there. Anyway, if you want something, get something. It is jockostore.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you want to go ahead and smash the subscribe button. <laughs> Bro, we're not doing that anymore. That, that was it. That, 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 was, that joke that was, over? That was the last the one. last one. Yeah, yeah. All right. No more. So may, if you want to subscribe, you can click the subscribe button. Yeah. I guess, I guess if you're going to remind someone to do something in regards to subscribing, it'd be more on the YouTube thing to do the notification bell if they want to be notified. Because that's not just a given when you subscribe. I don't know. Some people might not know that. Is what I'm saying. Okay. I'm definitely a person that did not know that. Well, there you go. Um, So, yeah, subscribe, whatever. Twitter. Or not Twitter. Sorry. Stitcher. Google Play iTunes. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also, don't forget the Warrior Kid podcast. Three new releases. Yep. 24, 25, and 26. Boom. Including an interview with John Bozak, the illustrator, the drawer of pictures. Of all the Worry Kid books, including Mikey and the Dragons. So anyway, yeah, very interesting on that one, uh, especially if you're into any kind of creative thing. He kind of demonstrates it or talks about the process and the frustration. It's good. I, I actually liked it a lot. Also, Worry Kid Soap, IrishOaksRanch.com. This is where you can get Jocko Soap, Trooper Soap, all made by Warrior Kid Aiden in the United States, by the way. Does he have some kind of motto or anything with that? Yeah, like a, it's a slogan. What we'll is call it, it a slogan? Stay clean. Sorry, bro. I don't say it all like you know, crazy like you. Whatever, but best stay clean, simple to the point, right? Yeah. All good. I was not impressed with I, I know. your job there. I'm doing the best I can. You know? Anyway, like I mentioned, we have a YouTube channel as well, Chalk Podcast YouTube channel. If you are interested in the video version of this uh, this here situation. Um, and some excerpts on there, some enhanced excerpts on there too. If you want to look at them, it's good. Psychological warfare. It's out there. iTunes, Google play, MP3, get it. Don't forget about the visual versions of psychological warfare from flipsidecanvas.com, which is run by my brother, Dakota Meyer. (laughs) You might want to check that one out as well. Get discipline equals freedom. Art. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have posters right which is cool like you know you hang them in your gym and whatever but it's like one two maybe three levels higher than the you poster is like def- you know the kind you hang on your wall in yeah. your home yeah, you, you can know? put it up in your office clearly you could oh, yeah. you could put these things up they are legit and we got some warrior kid posters uh 
art coming yeah. as well because they're not just posters. They're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, the quality. Also, on it, on it.com slash Jocko. Go there, King. On it, this is where you can get what kettlebells, like fitness stuff. Um, so, you know, some cool supplements, some greens, some food items, you know. Uh, this is where I get my kettlebells. Actually, yeah, like pretty much all my home gym stuff, aside from like the dumbbell sets, I get from On It. Sure. All of it. Go on there, onit.com slash Jocko. Get something. And got some books too. I've written a bunch of them. Way the Warrior Kid, Where There's a Will. Number That's number three of that book. That is live, so get that for your kid. Also get the Way of the Warrior Kid 1 and Way of the Warrior Kid 2, which is called Mark's Mission. These books are good. Man, the, these are the books I wish I had when I was a kid. They would have just put me on the path at a younger age. Mikey and the Dragons, you can order that one now as well. That is for a little bit younger age, maybe three, four, five, six. Sure. Through 70. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. Discipline equals freedom field manual. All the little questions that you want to ask me about everything are answer, is answered in that book. The Discipline equals freedom field manual. How to get after it. The audio version is not on Audible. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon Music. It's on Google Play. Other MP3s. And those are questions that you might have about life, about my personal operating system. If you have questions about leadership, check out Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. I referenced them both today, and I reference them all the time. Written by me and my brother Leif Babin about the experiences we had overseas, and how you can take those experiences and apply them to the leadership in your life and world. We also have Echelon Front, which is our leadership consultancy. We solve problems through leadership. You can go to echelonfront.com for details on that. If you want to get some additional training online, you can go to efonline.com, and that's where we have all the Echelon Front instructors teaching classes online, interactive classes. Check that one out if you want to go more granular. And then we have the muster, which is a conference gathering, a leadership gathering. The next one is in Denver, September 19th and 20th. And then in Sydney, Australia, December 4th and 5th. Check ExtremeOwnership.com for details. All of the musters have sold out, and these will too. So get there early. And of course, we have EF Overwatch, where we are taking spec ops and combat aviation leaders and placing them into civilian companies that need leadership. EFOverwatch.com if you want to hire someone from special operations or your former special operations and you would like to work in the civilian sector, go to EFOverwatch.com, follow the instructions, we will hook it up. And if you feel like you want to cruise with us just a little bit more, you can find us both on the interwebs on Twitter, on Instagram, and on the Facebook. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks to all of you that make this podcast possible. First, those of you in the armed services who put your honor and duty above yourselves and protect freedom around the world. And to all the police officers and law enforcement, 
to the firefighters, the paramedics, the EMTs, the dispatchers, the correctional officers, the border patrol, secret service, and all the other first responders. Each of you do the same. You place the welfare of others above the welfare of yourself in order to keep us safe. So thanks for what you do. And the rest of you that are out there, thanks for the support that you all give us. You are the fuel that keeps this train moving. Literally. We appreciate it. And also remember this, no matter what happened in the past, you control the narrative. You write the story that you want to write. You give yourself the role that you want. Make your thoughts in that story filled with discipline. And make your actions, make them nothing short of heroic. And then step out into the world and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko.